Yes, we are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It's called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toladano. John Wall doesn't need no introduction. It's an insider's look at the NBA and culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and the number one pick of the 2010 NBA Draft, John Wall, will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to podcasts. There's a new way to bet on things outside of sports with Kalshi. Maybe you thought uh, on the future of TikTok. Will Congress ban it? Or won't they? Will Taylor Swift's album win album of the year? Will Biden's approval rating go up? Will it go down? Or inflation? You can trade futures on all of that and make money if you're correct. You're smart. You know things. Bet on it. $20 bonus if you go to Kalshi.com slash stereo. Spelled K-A-L-S-H-I and deposit $50. Kalshi.com slash stereo. Get in the game. There is no guarantee of performance. An investor could lose their entire investment. Investment fees. iHeartMedia does not recommend any investments. See further disclosures at Kalshi.com. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. What's up? This is Michael Rappaport on today's brand new Smash Mouth episode of the I Am Rappaport Stereo Podcast, the home of disruptive behavior. Me and G Moody, last name rhymes with duty, break down who we think is the sicker, sick fuck of the week, the Philadelphia Eagles fan who patiently and deliberately ate horseshit after the Super Bowl, or the burglars who robbed Rob Gronkowski's house while he was playing in that Super Bowl. Okay, who do you think is the sicker, sick fuck of the week? Plus, we're discussing the Uma Thurman, Quentin Tarantino situation, the car accident that took place on Kill Bill, and we have special guest, the Terminator is in the motherfucking house, Robert Patrick from Terminator 2. You've seen him in Copland, and I got to work with him on that. He tried to drown me in that. You've seen him in True Blood, Gangster Squad. You saw him in Walk the Line. He was in The Sopranos. Dope-ass career. You see him every single week on the hit show on CBS, Scorpion. Plus, he's talking about his new movie that just came out on Netflix. It's dope. It's based on a true story called The Last Rampage, The Escape of Gary Tisson, based on a true story that took place In 1975, when these guys broke out of the Arizona State Prison, my man Robert Patrick, the Terminator, is in the motherfucking house. It's an interview 
that you're not going to want to miss. So much information, so many anecdotes from all his films, different actors, who's the best he's ever worked with, who's the worst, what it was like working with Sly Stallone on Copland, and so much more. Terminator 2 stories, how he almost caught on fire on the set of Terminator 2. I am Rapport Stereo Podcast, Miles Jordan. Let me get something really, really, really funky. Yo, they did it. They did it. I think they remade the classic better. No disrespect. No disrespect. But the new Death Wish film, that is a remake of the classic Charles Bronson film, was rebooted, remade with Bruce Willis. Bruce Willis is back. I saw this movie. It's dope. It's badass. Bruce Willis is kicking ass. You got to see this on the big screen for its action sequences. I'm telling you, I saw it. The theme of this movie is really, how far would you go to protect your family? Huh? MGM Pictures presents director Eli Roth reimagining the 1974 revenge classic Death Wish. Dr. Paul Kersey, played by Bruce Willis, is a surgeon who only sees the aftermath of his city's violence as it's rushed into the ER until his wife, played by Elizabeth Shue, and his college-aged daughter are viciously attacked in their suburban home with the police overloaded with crimes. Paul, burning for revenge, hunts his family's assailants down to deliver justice. I saw Death Wish. It's dope. You should see it too. Death Wish, starring Bruce Willis in theaters March 2nd. All right, CIM Rapport Stereo Podcast. Coming live and direct, my name is Michael Rappaport, a.k.a. the Bobby Knight of Podcasting, a.k.a. Mr. White Folks, a.k.a. the Gringo Man Dingo, a.k.a. White Mike, here with G. Moody. The last name rhymes with duty, that's a fact. Yep. G. Monetti always ready. You know the name, you know the game. Have no fear, the I Am Rappaport Stereo Podcast is here. We're here. Um, as I told you, we got a dope-ass episode coming up today. Me and Moody are going to do our thing, as always. Uh, then we have an iconic actor, been in iconic films, iconic television shows. I worked with him on Copland. He's on the show Scorpion on CBS. Seen him in so many different things. Gangster Squad, The Sopranos, Walk the Line, and the motherfucking Terminator 2. This is a dope interview. If you love movies, if you want to get some insight into how movies are made, crazy directors, what actors and directors will do to sometimes get the shot, to get something to look real, this interview with Robert Patrick is dope. It's been in so much shit. Charlie's Angels. I mean, just on and on and on and on and on and on and on. Um, and like I told you, we got dope Copland stories, dope Terminator 2 stories. Just a good dude and just, I mean, very prolific career. So we're going to talk about so many different things. But this, this uh, well, before we get into this Uma Thurman, Quentin Tarantino situation, 
talking about crazy directors. We're going to double back to that. Okay. okay. Um, want to shout out the great Dennis Edwards, uh, lead singer of The Temptations, uh, soul singer, very prolific, very sort of, uh, I don't know, his career, he had a lot of, listen, Dennis Edwards hasn't been popping for a long time. Still an icon. Still, uh, I mean, listen, lead singer of The Temptations, it doesn't get any bigger than that. Some of the greatest music ever made. And he has literally one of the best R&B soul songs ever made uh, that he made, uh, Don't Look Any Further, Miles, cue that beat. There you go. With Saida Garrett, everybody knows this beat. Been sampled. Tupac rocked on it for Hit Him Up. Of course, Eric B. and Rakim rocked on it. Uh, and, and that's just the two off the top of my head. EPMD rocked on this beat. Uh, Dennis Edwards, of course. David Ruffin, they had Eddie Kendricks. Temptations. I mean, they had they had a very tumultuous a group situation with those guys. The great Dennis Edwards passed away. Um, Sound of Motown, Sound of Americana. Uh, Moody, you got a Dennis Edwards beat? Didn't you sample? Didn't you do some Dennis Edwards beats on Moody beats? No, it was uh, it, it was Temptations when he was in the when he was in the group. But um, yeah, of course, Den- Dennis Edwards had that uh, signature uh, gravelly. Uh, gospel uh, voice. Uh, one of the great soul singers of all time. Of all time. That, that, that kind of gravelly, soulful, bluesy, bout it, bout it, Chicago voice. He's from Alabama. Fairfield, Alabama. I'd have never been to Fairfield, Alabama. Okay? But that's some, that's some down south bout it, bout it shit. Uh, so... Farewell to the great Dennis Edwards, uh, and uh, what can I say? Um, so, Super Bowl backlash, the sort of all the, the news from the Super Bowl, uh, the Malcolm Butler of it all, the Philadelphia celebrations, the firing, the looting, the Tom Brady being in the Illuminati or not being in the Illuminati, people just can't stop talking about that. Uh, obviously, the sick fuck of the week, who doesn't even need the award. The fan in Philadelphia who was on his hands and knees and and, and was smelling. It was like, if you haven't seen the video of the, of the fan in Philadelphia who ate the horse shit, um, if you're into horse shit eating videos, you got to check it out because the guy, not only did he eat horse shit, he, he was on his hands and knees and he was like, smelling different piles of horseshit to sort of figure out which one he wanted to eat. He didn't just, like the guy in Cleveland who just picked up the horseshit and ate it. This guy was like, obviously had a fetish for it. He took his time. He found the exact pile he wanted and then proceeded to eat it. Okay. Scatting. Scatting. He scat, he scat the horses. That's some caveman shit. You can never get you can never get over that. That's for the rest of his life. 
This guy fucking disgraced his family. This guy, that guy is a piece of shit. On video. Do, do you know what kind of shame this person's mother, father, sister, cousins, his grandparents? Yeah. Like, I'm not a big drug and alcohol guy. I've never sniffed anything. I've never taken any pills. I've never even... Re- Have you ever seen me be drunk? Nah, I've never seen you. Yeah, I'm not a drinker. You know, every now and then, uh, I, I like to dabble in my weed, but even that I've had to pull off of because of the bronchial situation. Yeah. <laughs> now, I don't know what you have to be on. I don't care if your team won the goddamn Super Bowl 10 times in a row. Yeah. I don't care if the Utah Jazz won the championship. I don't care if the Orlando Magic this season somehow made it to the finals and knocked off the Golden State Warriors this season. There is never any reason, unless you were truly on bath salts or a good dose of those gray skies or that ooh-wee, that you should be eating horse shit. There's nothing that's so great. There's no celebration that should ever prompt you to eat horse shit. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's around the world. It's all, everybody had their cameras. And this guy had no shame, no nothing, just doing it. And he, like, put it in his mouth and, like, gargled it around. Oh, you pig. What kind of guy is this? This, is, this guy, I mean, it speaks for itself. This is a, this is a savage. Do you think we should give him the sick fuck of the week? Or, is, or does he not have what it takes to win the sick fuck of the week? Or is he the essence of the sick fuck of the week? Yeah. I, I'm, I'm deferring to you on this. He is the essence of it because just looking at that repulses you. And, I'm, and, and he got it in his mouth like it's scope. Miles, cue the sick fuck of the week. This award is earned, not given. It's called the sick fuck of the week. This guy's really sick. Lock him up. How could you do it? Don't let him out. Damn. You fucked the dog? You what? You fucked the dog? Why would you fuck the dog? Why would you fuck your girlfriend's dog? What? Sick fuck. The sick fuck of the week. It's earned. Earned. Not given. You did. What? No. 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 My friend in Philadelphia. It come early in the show, and we're going to probably double back later on for some more sick fucks of the week. But you're getting a solo sick fuck of the week. You nasty (laughs) dog, animal, savage, caveman, fuck you. Shame on you. Shame on you. When you hand in your resume to get a job, make it a video clip of you eating the horse shit. You think that's, that's dope? You think, yeah. you, you think you're popping because you ate horse shit? You ain't popping. <sighs> Damn. Whew. You ate horse shit because a team won the Super Bowl. You live yeah. in Philadelphia, my man. You're not in Cleveland. At least the guy in Cleveland, his excuse can be that I live in Cleveland. You know you're never winning a championship again if you're a Cleveland Cavaliers fan. So <laughs> as sick as the Cleveland Cavaliers fan who ate the horse shit on video is, this guy in the fighting city of Philadelphia 
This is a great city. This is a prominent city. You shamed Rocky Balboa. You shamed Paulie. You shamed Adrian. You shamed Mickey, God rest his soul. You shamed Gazzo. <laughs> you shamed Can- Dr. J, Ron Jaworski, Randall Cunningham, Bobby Clark. Smoking Joe. Smoking Joe Frazier. <laughs> Gambling Huff. <laughs> Are you, you, you shamed uh, Billy Preston? Billy Paul. <laughs> I mean, you shamed everything great. You shamed Gino from Gino's Steak yeah. and Cheese. Yeah. You, you shamed everything. Were. About Philadelphia. They should send your ass to Cleveland, you're such a nasty motherfucker. But as sick as this person is, as sick as the shit-eating bandit in Philadelphia is. You shame Duke. You shame Apollo Creed and his trainer, Duke, played by Tony Burton. You fucking shame Drago and Tommy Guns, you fucking animal, you. <laughs> you shamed Creed. You shamed Michael B. Jordan, who played Creed. You shamed Bill Conti, who did the Rocky theme. But as sick as this person is, and he's sick. I mean, really sick. While the Super Bowl was going on, just miles away from the New England Patriots home stadium, where Rob Gronkowski for years has been a beast, Well, Rob Gronkowski, just two weeks ago, took a blow to the head, was concussed, came back, and scored two touchdowns in the Super Bowl. Rob Gronkowski has had back surgeries, broken legs, broken elbows, and nameless other injuries that he probably didn't even report. Now, it is very public and very well documented that I cannot stand the New England Patriots. As much as I can't stand Bill Belichick, Pencil Dick, Matt Patricia, Tom Brady, and the entire Patriot way, Robert Kraft and his weird fucking hair and his overly yeah. stylized, custom-made suits. Yeah, and his slow talking. Everybody that watches football, you can't hate Rob Gronkowski. You might not be a fan, but you'd be hard-pressed to find somebody that vehemently hates Rob Gronkowski, the way they generally hate most of the Patriots. While Rob Gronkowski was out there getting busy in the Super Bowl, which was played in Minnesota, another sick fuck, and you know it had to be an inside job, a sick fuck burglarized, probably two or three sick fucks, broke into Rob Gronkowski's house or condos, probably a house, just miles away from Gillette Stadium where the man has been a savage, a beast on the gridiron for years, broke into his house and robbed Rob Gronkowski. Oh, man. Damn. I mean, think probably his roommates. He don't have fucking roommates. He's Rob Gronkowski. I think he has roommates. (laughs) I mean, think about that. You, you, you play the Super Bowl, 
you play your heart out. You're just coming back from a concussion. You've ju- you've always come back. You've always answered the bell. He's always showed up. Your team loses. And on top of that, you come home to find out that your house was burglarized just minutes away from the stadium, your stadium. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. They took multiple safes. We, we don't know what was in the safes. Um, possibly guns. I'm sure the guns were, were all legal. And, and, and unknown things. There, there's a rumor saying that his Super Bowl rings or one of his Super Bowl rings was was taken. You did it to one of the most iconic Boston athletes ever. He's up there with Larry Bird, Big Poppy, Carl Yastrzemski, the guy that deflated the footballs for Tom Brady. I mean, as far as it's, it's like this current team, it's Brady, Gronk. That's it. Yeah. Like, those are the two most popular across-the-board guys. Amendola is not even the same fucking league as Rob Gronkowski. Right. It's fucked up. Damn. Well, they'll get to the bottom of it. Oh, pff. get to the bottom of it. They're going to they're duct tape the motherfuckers that robbed his house to the field goal post in Gillette. Mm-hmm. And apparently, uh, they're going to have a public viewing as Rob Gronkowski does Gronk spikes with a football into the burglar's ass. He's going to spike a football repetitively right into the guy's ass until he walks off the field bleeding. That'll fucking teach you to rob Rob Gronkowski's house. I mean, who's worse? The guys that robbed Rob Gronkowski that had to be from Massachusetts that probably have Rob Gronkowski jerseys or the guy who ate the shit in Philadelphia. Who do you think is worse? <laughs> Damn, man. The tough call, huh? Yeah, that's fucked up. Um, we'll let the people decide. Um, I put a poll up on Twitter. If you don't follow me on Twitter, it's at Michael Rappaport. Um, and please answer the poll because I found this very offensive and, and I'm not even... Uh, a Patriots fan. I, I just found it like just to add insult to injury. The police report says he has roommates and they are suspects. They the roommates did it. If it's it's an inside job, yo, they're gonna find out. They go and they get his safes. They know where things are. The guy has roommates. It'll come out and these guys set it up and they'll be caught. Hopefully he'll get all that shit back. Yeah, well, I'm, I mean, roommates and caretakers or his dudes that live in the guest house or who the fuck knows, whatever it is. The, oh, trust me. I'm sure this went to the top of the cases in, uh, in Boston. Uh, trust right. me. Rob Gronkowski, he's beloved. Yeah, they're going to find out. Um, okay, so Saturday, last Saturday, a few days ago, Uma Thurman, who has been connected to the Harvey Weinstein uh, uh, he's, she's, she's been, it's been rumored and she sort of verified it, but hasn't spoken about it. She's been, uh, one of uh, Harvey Weinstein's, uh, victims. Yeah. He, he attacked her. He sexually, uh, assaulted her. They had uh, a relationship. She goes into it in great detail. And I suggest you read it in a New York times article. 
that that she she co-signed, she wrote it. I mean, she didn't write it, but she, you know, it's her it's her article, it's by her. It's not some fluff piece written by TMZ or or, or some rag like the root or something like that. Like it's a first-hand account from Uma Thurman. Um obviously Harvey Weinstein's a piece of shit. Um and she breaks all that down. Also in the article, which I don't understand why this particular event was connected to the article about Harvey Weinstein's sexual assault of Uma Thurman, um, but they tie Quentin Tarantino, who he said he, he kind of had an idea. I'm unqu- I'm not quoting here, but because he, I don't want to, I don't want to. It's it's too serious to make light of. But he said that he felt like he didn't say anything at the time, not just with Uma Thurman, but just in general. Okay, he's publicly said that. Um, but in the article, for some reason, the article starts to talk about a falling out that Uma Thurman had with Tarantino on the set of Kill Bill. Now, Kill Bill obviously was a huge movie, and, and Kill Bill was after Pulp Fiction, which was one of the hugest movies of all time, uh, both uh, financially and critically. And I don't, listen, I don't need to do an introduction for. Pulp Fiction, it's, it's, it's iconic, uh, uh, you know, film. But Pulp Fiction made Uma Thurman a humongous star. I happened to work with uh, Uma Thurman right after that on uh, Beautiful Girls. Right. Which we shot in Minnesota. Me and Gerald have talked about our Minnesota Chronicles often on the I Am Rapport Stereo podcast. Um, but she talks about on the set of Kill Bill... Her being sort of pushed into doing what felt to be a dangerous driving sequence. You know, the, 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 the famous part of the film where she's driving in the car on the way to the fight or after the fight. Yeah. Her yeah. hair is flowing and it's, it's, it's very stylized. And I guess she was concerned about the car and they were shooting on a, a, a narrow dirt road. And her and Tarantino, who, by the way, also, I can't confirm or deny this, but it is rumored... It is rumored that they were romantically linked at some point. I would bet. I would bet. Now, this is just me. My opinion, based on uh, everything you've seen and know, uh, and I fuck with them both, that they did have some sort of romantic relationship throughout their 20-something year career working together. Okay? That's just my gut instinct based on what I know, what I smell. You can smell it. Right. Tarantino. Her and Tarantino. Her and Tarantino. Okay. Okay. But that's not the point. But it is sort of the point. Anyway, they had a, a, a very passionate, a very a successful um, relationship as an actor, actress, director. You know, he uh, obviously got the best out of Uma Thurman in Pulp Fiction and in Kill Bill and she brought the best out of him as a uh, writer-director. Cut to, uh, she talks about this car accident that happened on the set of Kill Bill, and some video footage finally uh, surfaced. It was sort of, I I guess, was being held uh, by Harvey Weinstein, and I guess Tarantino wasn't helping, uh, you know, let the surface, the video footage come out. And and it finally came out, and it came out uh, in... uh, 
with this article. And you see her driving and then you she gets into an accident and I guess, you know, she banged her head and I don't I don't know all the uh, the details cuz I don't fact check and I'm not referencing the article, but she got fucking she got fucked up. I think she had a little concussion. Okay. Maybe she had a busted rib something. And she's saying that, you know, he sort of pushed her into doing the driving stunt and Tarantino just came back and saying that's not totally the case, but he did say, you know, when you're making a movie, you know, you you get temperamental, you know, and actors always want to please their directors. And she says this in the article and directors always want their, the actors to go further for them. It's kind of like a basketball coach or a football coach. Right. You know, they demand. They demand. And sometimes they might be like, Rappaport, you fucking piece of shit. Run oh, the goddamn like gym. That? Go outside Damn. in the in the in the rain. Run a mile. You know, or Moody, you fucking blah blah blah. You're not getting back on defense. Sit your fucking ass down. This is when you're a kid. I've seen it happen to you. I saw it happen to you when we played a res. They 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 it, it, it happens. They, they and that's and that's just at the level we played. You know, you Bobby Knight obviously took things too far. You you see it all the time. Coaches flipping on kids. Players flipping on coaches. Shout out to Latrell's people. It's a temperamental thing. I'm just trying to give you a, a, an analogy because I've worked on films. Right. I've been screamed at by directors. I've screamed back at directors. I've screamed at cameramen. Cameramen have screamed back at me. Harvey Keitel, we talk about it later on in the interview with Robert Patrick. He smacked my face in it, it, when we were shooting a scene from Copland. You know, really? it's three in the morning. You're on the George Washington Bridge. You have two hours to shoot. Yeah, and, and, and you know, these things happen. I was on the set of Higher Learning. I could have used a stuntman. Uh, me and Omar Epps in the scene in the, in the dorm where I pull the gun out on him and I'm talking all this shit to him. You know, we get into it. Uh, you know, we're young, we're fiery. He accidentally, um, you know, came down with his knee on my ribs. I know for sure I had a broken rib. I didn't say mm. nothing about it. Never complained about it. I was 24, 25 years old. We all want to be the next Robert De Niro. We all want to be the next uh, Marlon Brando. You know, the scene in Higher Learning where we're fighting on the on the yard, you know, it, it's an accident. You all right? right. You good? Uh, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. You know, you pick each other up. It's You're not really fighting. Even in that movie, I'm playing a skinhead. Calling them all sorts of things. We're, we're, we're actors trying to do our thing. Uh, the movie Kiss of Death. Me, uh, David Caruso, and Nicolas Cage. There's a scene in that movie where uh, Nicolas Cage and the stuntman choreographed doing a scene. It was supposed to be with a stuntman. They worked it out. Nicolas Cage pulls a guy out of uh, an 18-wheel truck. The guy's a stuntman. He's supposed to pick him and throw him up against the truck. Well, it didn't work. The guy drops like a fucking sandbag, busts his head open, goes to the hospital. It's in, it's in the movie. Right, okay. I can't remember the name of the, uh, the Vincent Gallo with Abel Ferrara, the King of New York director. Uh, he got his nose broke on the set. When I was shooting White Famous, it's in the episode of White Famous, the second episode or third episode of White Famous. Jay Farrow, I think we might have talked about it when Jay Farrow was on the show. Punch me in my fucking nose. We could have had stunned people. We tried to do it. Literally punched me in my nose. If he had been an inch uh, closer, he would have broken my nose. And I have a big fucking nose. 
This fucking thing's hard to miss. Total <laughs> accident. Total accident. You know, it was hurting. It was bleeding. It was hurting for two weeks. It's still a little bit sore. This fucking nose is... It ain't easy to miss. You all right? You good? You good? The doctors come. You need to go to the hospital. Blah. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. It happens. These things right. happen on, on movie sets. It can get tense. There's a lot of uh, uh, money. There's right. a lot of brouhaha. There's a lot of, uh, you know, time is of the essence. And I'm sure a lot of those things had to do with Quentin Tarantino wanting what he wanted from his star, who he's rocked with and she's rocked with him for years, which caused this car accident. You know, the, these things happen. You know, people are saying all this, he forced her, he took advantage of her. It was, it was a man with a woman. This has nothing to do with a man. Everything isn't about fucking race and gender. So... This came out today about the, the accident that, w- w- how long ago was the, this? The, w- the accident was 15, 16 years ago on, on, the, on the set of uh, Kill Bill. But, but she had been saying that the footage was hidden because I think they were afraid she was going to do a lawsuit. I, I'm not talking about the lawsuit. If she wants to sue him, sue him. Yeah. The point that I'm talking about is that now Quentin Tarantino, you know, he took advantage of his, his female actress. And I'm saying this is bullshit. This particular part of it. Not the Harvey okay. Weinstein thing. Okay. It's nothing to do with the Harvey Weinstein. I'm talking about the accident on the set of Kill Bill. Oh, yeah. This has happened over and over and over. It happens all the time on TV shows and on sets. Way worse things have happened. Right. Well, now it's piling on. Now it's everything is uh, magnified. So when she says that, of course, you know, the people who are on this shit are going to use that. You know, they're going to use that and say, look, look what he's doing. Look what the man is doing. Again, the man, look, he took advantage. So it's just unfortunate that it's in this climate. So, of course, Quentin is going to get, he's going to get lambasted. Completely lambasted. Yeah. Anyway, uh, you know, I, the time I spent with Uma Thurman on Beautiful Girls, she was a fucking doll, classy as shit. Obviously, you know, uh, I, I've said it publicly. I've said it publicly. I'll say it here right now. It's the only time I was ever aroused doing a scene with a woman in a show or a movie was on the set of Beautiful Girls during the dance scene. I caught wood. Oh, she, I don't blame you. She's bad. She's, she's bad. She's yeah, Beautiful. She's good looking. I mean, yeah. and she was in her zestful post pulp fiction prime. Tall. Yeah. Like an Amazon fucking goddess with big, huge hands. Who, who's her man? Who, who's she messing with now? I don't know who she's messing with, but I tell you, on the set of Beautiful Girls, she uh, started dating Timothy Hutton, the actor, and everybody was jealous. Every fucking body was yeah. jealous. The actors were jealous. The prop people were jealous. <laughs> T-Hut. <laughs> T-Hut. Anyway, so I don't know how this is going to play out with them. I will bet this. Mark my words. Before it's all said and done, and it might, it might take 20 years, Uma Thurman will work with Quentin Tarantino again in some capacity. Okay? Of course. That's my, uh, that's my two cents. and I'm sticking to it. Uh, not every single thing is race and gender. Uh, Jay Farrell punched me in my fucking nose. He felt terrible. Okay, right. Nick Cage threw the guy out of the thing in Kiss of Death. Look it up. Halfway through the movie with the big truck heist. 
accident. Felt terrible. I actually saw him crying. He was so worried about the guy. He was crying because he felt like I actually saw him crying. It was a fucking accident. It happens. These things happen. The guy had to go to the hospital, get stitchers. He was knocked out cold. It was terrible. Mm -hmm. If you look at my reaction in the scene, if you could find it, you see me go like, oh, and I think I look off camera like, oh, shit. Like he's really hurt. That's the way it is, right? It's it's intense. It's a lot of money involved. And these directors, yo, their careers are on the line. I understand it. And you're an actor. You should want to be pushed to be the best. Exactly. That shouldn't bother you. And sometimes, you know, you might go over the line. You talk about it. You, you, you go forward just like a basketball coach or a football coach. Right. You know, you can't be on some Bobby Knight shit or like the Rutgers basketball coach where you're throwing basketballs at people. Right. Because that's what they try to do. The Hughes brothers try to do to Tupac. And Tupac whipped their ass. Uh, that's <laughs> not actually what happened with the Hughes brothers <laughs> and Tupac. The Tupac Hughes I, I, brothers thing was I don't because... fact check. Huh? I don't fact check. No, the, you're, 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 you're not even in the fucking... In the, in the ballpark with that. <laughs> so that's that. I don't know what else is going on. Uh, all right, you know what? Since we're talking about movies and film, there's so much great conversation, so many anecdotes about Terminator, Copland. I talk about Harvey Keitel smacking me, uh-huh. working on The Sopranos with James Gandolfini, the greatness of Joaquin Phoenix and Walk the Line. Let's get to it. This is it. Yo, if you like movies and television, I am telling you, this is as close as you're going to get to courtside seats on how things are done, how things are made, and the greatness at times of working on a film, an iconic film like Terminator 2, uh, Gangster Squad, True Blood, and The Sopranos. Let's get to it with my man, Robert Patrick. Ladies, gentlemen, Valentine's Day is right around the corner. Whether it's your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your husband, your wife, you do not want to screw up on Valentine's Day. And berries.com is the place. I got my perfect pairing package from Sherry's Berries. And not only are the flowers beautiful, but the chocolate-covered berries were so ripe and so juicy that I can't wait to have more as soon as I am finished recording this podcast. Do yourself a favor. Send your Valentine a one-of-a-kind gift that will really impress and make them happy. Perfectly paired is two gifts in one. You can't beat that. It comes in a specially designed box that will keep your berries cold and your flowers fresh. Guaranteed. That's a guarantee. Save 20% off on any perfectly paired combination or any gift over 29 bucks with the promo code I am Rappaport R A P A P O R T. Pick the delivery date and it's guaranteed customer satisfaction is always number one, or you get your money back. Yo, Valentine's Day is next week. Call and order today. There's only one way to get 20% off gifts over 29 bucks. Visit berries.com today. Enter the promo code I am Rappaport at checkout. That's berries, B E R R I E S.com. Promo code Rappaport. This is a limited time offer, and Valentine's Day will be here before you know it. Get perfectly paired and think inside the box. All right. All right. This is me testing one, two. You got a good level? You got a good voice, Robert. Hey, thank you, buddy. I'll do some voiceovers from time to time. I'm here with Robert Patrick. The fucking Terminator, the cyborg, 
co-star with me and Copland. Yes, sir. Fun times. I tried to drown you. Tried to tried to drown me. It was a traumatic event for you. Traumatic event. That was. Do you that, want to talk about it? I, absolutely. I think you should. You know, unfortunately, <laughs> cell phones they they existed. I think. They had them, but they I don't think we could afford them, though. They, but there wasn't not from that movie. No, yeah. But there wasn't there wasn't like it wasn't like Instagram that. But that would have been an Instagram oh smash my hit. Gosh. That yeah. scene, but we'll that, we'll get to that. Yeah, that was amazing. Um, amazing night. So I appreciate you coming here. I'm thrilled to be here. By the way, for those of you that haven't been to Mr. Rappaport's home, it is beautiful. He's got a beautiful pad here. Thank you. You you got like you're in the hills, right? Yeah, I got. You got horses and shit. No, I don't have horses. We we uh, we got lucky in 1996, right around when we were making Copland. I think right after I did striptease, I made a bundle of money, and uh, I got a down payment on a house right after the Northridge earthquakes. Uh, uh, Barbara, you know my yes. wife, she found the place. It's uh, uh, two lots that were tied together. It's just right. under an acre. Right. But I did what. I did what we were talking about. I came in and it was, it would, had been remodeled, but it was kind of a, sh- I don't want to say it was a shack of a house, but it, but it, but it, we tore it down and moved out and did, did that thing that you were talking about and had an architect rebuild it. An architect. So, but are you good with your hands? Like, can yes. you get a drill and, and put a screw into a wall without fucking up the wall in one chance? Yes. Okay. So if you put a drill to a wall, you're not going to have to like, Close the hole. And you could do that. I can do that. Can I, you? Can you build? Um, like, what's the extent of your handiwork? I would. You're not, like a guy. I, well, I. Start, You're from the south. I'm from the south. Okay, that so that automatically makes you a guy. It automatically <laughs> makes you more of a guy than me. But like, so what, what, what's your handiwork skills? Like, where where does it stop? Where does it stop? I would not do uh, a bunch of electrical work. I'm, right. a, I'm a little shy of the electrical work. You need to know what you're doing, doing with wiring, the electrical yeah, work. You don't want to burn your house down. I tried to put a, <laughs> a, a, a dimmer. This is like in 93. I tried to put a dimmer in my apartment, and I fucking knocked myself out. I could have been dead. You could have been dead. Absolutely. And that's what I watch. Uh, uh, electronics and stuff like that. Now, plumbing, I'm not too big at plumbing. You know, I'm not, I'm not good at that kind of stuff. But there are certain little things that I can do. Uh, around the house to kind of keep it going, but even now, you know, I got I got a handy uh, handy gal that comes by. My uh, my contractor was a woman. Oh, oh okay. She, she'll she'll come by and kind of fix some of the heavy duty stuff that goes wrong with stuff that does go wrong. Okay, but okay. I can nail my first job, Michael. I had uh, I worked with. Uh, my best friend was Brady Hoke, the former uh, head Michigan uh, football coach. Okay. We, we've known each other since we were 12. Okay. He was right before Harbaugh. That's cool. So our first job, our dad's got us jobs doing rough carpentry work. So at 13, Michael, I had a jackhammer. I was busting up concrete. I love that shit. At 13. So you, okay, okay. So you did some hard. I did so, some rough carpentry work. So being an actor work. is like a joke. no. <laughs> In terms of like manual labor, it's hey, being an actor is kind of a craft, right? Being an actor is a craft, but it's not fucking jackhammering at it's thirteen. It's not jackhammering. No, it's not jackhammering at thirteen. You got to watch your toes. All right. I've, I've done factory work, man. Okay. I, when I was in Detroit, I worked in a diecast aluminum factory. I've painted. Okay, so th- there's certain things that I can do. I got you. I got you. All right. So you 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 got the you got the basic gist of it, but you do have a handy girl. When things get beyond. I do have a handy girl, which I think is funny. All right. I want to talk about your career. You've had a great career. Um, I would say iconic career. You've been in iconic films. And you seem to come. I'm sure you get this all the time, but you got to share it with my friends. And you also have done so many sort of um, cult things. You I've know, been lucky. Like X-File, X-Files is cult. Yep. Um, 
obviously Sopranos is beyond cult, but there's a cult. There's like the, the all the fans, and there's a cult ish right. sort of quality to right. it. And then of course Terminator, right? Which at the time, I mean, like that's like on one of the, that's one of those films that's considered one of the greatest films of all time. You know, it changed movies. Right. It was, uh, um, you know, I, I mean, how did you get that part? Because before that, you had done few things. Like, how did you get that part? What was the auditioning process to get Terminator? Because I was like, who the fuck is this guy? Right. You were freaky scary. Your eyes were like <laughs> scary. Like the, all the CGI, like the melt. Like you didn't know what the, I remember seeing that. And I'm not even a big sci-fi guy, but I remember I saw that film at a theater on Third Avenue in 60-something Street, 67th Street in New York. And I remember being like, what the fuck? Like, how, like the CGI and the special effects were like crazy. It's like it was a game-changing movie. So how did you get that film? I just sit here watching you talk. I love you. are so freaking entertaining, man. <laughs> I love watching you. Uh, I got it. You know, they, they, what happened, Michael, was uh, Billy Idol was set to do the role. Okay. Billy Idol I didn't know that. was cast in the role. What uh, the Mario, fuck was he going to do? He was going to be the T-1000, and he got in a motorcycle accident. So it created this vacuum. Billy Idol, the singer? He was going to be the T-1000. And uh, Mario Cassar and I believe Corelco really wanted him to do it. And uh, he got in a motorcycle accident. He couldn't do the physical part of it. So Cameron, Jim Cameron, had to find somebody. And what he wanted originally was an unknown because of everything you just talked about. No one would have any preconceived notion of who I was. Who is this guy? So you would accept me in that role a lot easier than if it was, you know, Denzel Washington playing the T-1000. Right. Right? Right. right. So a, a complete unknown comes in. Uh, the audition process was, you'll love this. I didn't read the script. They didn't give you the script? No. you got to create an intense presence. They're looking for an intense presence. This and this is, is your first audition? This is my... I've had some auditions. I've done Die Hard 2. No, I've but I'm a, saying for, first oh, audition for, for that for, film. For that film, yes. They're, so they say come in a tense presence. Yes. You can't read the script. Yeah. The, the, the show, top secret. Uh, top secret. Jim Cameron. It's it's the Terminator sequel. Um, I came in and I met Mally Finn. We uh-huh. sat with her. Now, she, I had been sold to her as sort of a cross between a James Dean and a David Bowie. Okay. So they were intrigued with that, right? I got you. So they're looking at me, and, and I, I just decided to try to catch her not looking at me. And when she looked back at me, I was staring at her intensely like I wanted to take her head off. Right. And you have a good staring at you intensely like you want to take your head off look. Like, and especially at the time. Right. Like, you looked fucking freaky. I was a freakazoid. Yeah. <laughs> I was fucking freaky. I know. Right. My kids saw the movie recently and went like, Dad, Jesus. Did they, had they ever seen they it? They had never seen it. And they were like, Dad, oh my God, I see that now. I see why you got it. That was... That's a trip. You were very trippy looking. That's a trip um, uh, for a film for your kids to see. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, and, that's not a normal, like, oh, look at me. I'm, I'm on, yeah. you know, a TV show. I'm like, look at me in this... That's like a weird fucking movie to be like your father. That's my father. That's my dad. My father's a Terminator who's going to trying to kill okay, John so- Connor. So I get in there and I, so I I remember you know I just remember being like I'm gonna when she looks back at me I'm just going to be staring at her and literally she did a, a you know like a double take and she looked at me and went like all right whatever you're doing right now I want to go get this on film I'm going to bring in a guy Steve Quayle. He's Jim's assistant. We're going to go work with a video camera. So then it became this free form, free flow kind of, 
of how do I create something that's intense? So, you know, you're- And there's no dialogue. No. Well, there is in the movie, but there's not for this audition process. Right. So there's not like I'm reading pages. It's like I've got to walk around in this big warehouse space and make you want to watch me and make you be afraid of me. So I just started thinking like immediately, what can I use for this? And I was going, predators. This guy's all about- you know, he's got to be some sort of predator and I'm going to slow things down and I'm just going to stalk. And then they said, you're sense aware. And I, I started trying to try to physically manifest what that must mean to be sense aware. So I slowed things down and started looking around and and just started moving. And it became this like dance almost oh. of movement of Bending down, feeling the ground. And I slowed it down. I, I put myself in slow motion and kept going. And they kept throwing out ideas to me. Uh, and it it was such a wonderful creative uh, uh, process that everything was just coming to me. You know, right. it's like anything and everything. I wasn't, I wasn't editing. I wasn't self-editing. I was just, because I didn't have anything to go by. Right. But I was so on the money. I had no idea how on the money it was. Gotcha. Because everything I did in the initial audition is essentially what I did in the film. That's crazy. Right? Th- yeah. I mean, when it's synchronicity like yeah, that, when, when it comes to together. Be, yeah. When it's a meant to be moment. That's like, I, that was your, that was your fucking part. Like that was your part. Yeah. It was the next day, you know, I, I got a call that night and I remember on my rotary phone, I got a call. I was living in Hollywood Towers over there, Franklin and Argyle over uh-huh. there. And me and Barbara, and I got a call from uh, Jim Cameron, uh, his office, saying, we really liked what you did today. We'd like you to come back tomorrow and work with Jim. So the next day was, still no script, didn't tell me what I was. He and I just free Did you know it was ideas. a big part? Like, I, di- like, I, didn't re- I didn't realize. I didn't realize how big it was. It could have been, been a scene for all you know. I, I didn't know. I had no idea. All I knew was there was this, you know. So we get in there, we freeform more, and we do more things. And he's really encouraging me, and he's liking what he's seeing. And, and there's you're still no dialogue. No dialogue. So there's no, like, And by the way, I, I showed up. I was in, I was, the way Arnold was dressed in the movie. Yeah. Is the way I showed up for the audition. I was okay. wearing a biker jacket, you know, blah, 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 my hair and all that kind of stuff. Was exactly, you know, uh, the way it looked in the movie. And uh, and and f- f- funny enough, I was wardrobe like Arnold. But I, uh, but Jim and I had a great time. We hit it off. And, and uh, I could feel that this was mine. Uh-huh. I felt it the first day. I really felt it the second day. So we do all this stuff. And he throws me into these situations that I wasn't sure what they meant at the time. But that night I went home and they said, okay, we got another call saying, now they want to screen test you. There's a scene of dialogue they're going to do and you're going to get to read the script. Come back the next day. Okay. So I come back the next day. Now they say, we're going to give you the script to read. So I read the script. It takes me five hours to read the script. Right. Because I'm blown away by what I'm reading. I'm trying to. Was the script well written? Oh, yeah. Were the special art effects articulated in the script? Yes. And I was, and that's what was trying to wrap my head around that and apply it to what I was trying to do was the thing that was taking me so long. And I was, at that point, like a ball player, oh my God, this is the nemesis of Schwarzenegger. This is the villain. This is, you've just, you've got a chance to be in the Super Bowl. Right. 
It was that moment. Right. Like all you've worked for and right. worked for and, and struggling and struggling and you're broke and, you know, here it is. Here it is. Now, don't choke. Right. Right? So I, I, read, I read the script and, and I read the scene he wanted me to do. I went in and I, I did the scene. It was where I knock at the door and Xander Berkeley's there and I say, are you the legal guardian of John Connor? Well, what was interesting about the scene was is you were a, a, a mimetic polyalloy a Terminator, a cyborg, whatever you want to call it, uh, trying to be human. Right. So it had to be slightly affected. Right. And a little bit off. Right. But you had to believe that he could pass himself off as a human being. Even though like a sort of weird human, but a human. But a human, right. Creepy human. Creepy human. And I wasn't sure how self-aware the Terminator was of himself. Uh Uh-huh. And uh, I think the fourth day I went in there and I I did the whole screen test with the lighting he was going to use. And I was in the cop uniform and he had me do all that. And then, you know, uh, after that, I knew I'd hit a home run. I really knew I hit a home run. But when I got that call, I I never forget. I was I was sitting there in my 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 uh, tidy whities and I got the call. You got the part. And I threw the fucking phone. I couldn't believe it. It It's like, you know, it was just it was such an incredible moment. To uh, to realize that I was going to be going on this journey. That's awesome. Yeah, it was so cool, man. It, it, and, it, and 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 for the next year, like I got to train. I had to train with Uzi Gall, a special forces commando guy. They sent me, the, you know, they take me from Hollywood. They take me out to Van Nuys Airport. They put me on a plane. They fly me on a private jet to ILM. I'm meeting all the ILM guys. I'm meeting Stan Winston. Now they're you know put me through the process of we're gonna we're gonna digitize you. We're gonna Make you 3D, and this is before like now everybody's we were, 3D. They were you can it. become 3D on your phone yeah, now. They were inventing it. Steve Spaz Williams and Mark Dupay, two young guys that worked in Industrial Light and Magic, were inventing the process of motion capture as we were going. Uh, they didn't know what they were doing uh, either. They had an idea. They thought it was going to work. Cameron had seen it in the abyss, that liquid thing. So mm-hmm. they were going to try to figure out how to do that with a human being. Uh-huh. So we had this collaboration. We started working together. Um, and then you just had to find, for the performance, that common denominator. What can I do physically to tie in the Stan Winston animatronics? Uh, how do I pull together the, industri- the industrial light and magic, uh, their um, liquid metal parts? Yeah. I showed them how I thought the character would react in different situations. Okay. And we all worked together, and Jim, you know, he orchestrated the whole deal. So, but when you're, when, well, two things. You got cast. Right. How long was it before you started shooting the film? I think uh, we, there was three or four months of training. Physical training? Physical training so to get me ready. what were you doing during that time? Like, well, what you I learn- quit smoking. Okay. I quit drinking. Was that a big thing for you to it quit It was smoking? a big thing to do, yeah. All of a sudden, I had I was this very gaunt guy. I was doing a play, and um, I wasn't the healthiest guy in the world. Got and you. I needed to- How old were you at the time? 30. Okay, so you're 30. And I needed to get it together quick. So I knew, I, I being an ex-athlete, I knew I had to get rid of all that stuff. Um, and I started training with a guy, Uzi Gall, special forces commando guy that Jim had personally selected for me to, to train with, uh, this Israeli badass dude who was training me four times a day. We started at Santa Monica pier. I'd be out there meditating, watching the ocean. He wanted me to, to really observe the liquidity of 
water and 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 so they're training you for this role yeah and he would only call me the t-1000 that's what he would call you yeah and this guy uzi gall you gotta imagine this michael i mean i don't know if the gun was named after him or he was named after the gun you know what i'm saying i mean he was a badass okay he would only call me the t-1000 he would come up i'd be standing there at four o'clock in the morning santa monica he'd come up tap me on the shoulder we'd start running We'd run. We'd put sandbags on my back. This is I like some Mr. Miyagi shit. This is Mr. Miyagi shit, exactly. Wipe on, wipe or wash off. Uh, then we would do that. Then I would go home. Then I'd have to go to a gym over here at, at Wilshire and, and start working out with weights and training. Then I would do judo with this judo class. Then I had weapons training. So it's like four, four workouts a day. And I'm broke. And no one's giving me any money. I'm they're not, not paying you yeah, for this training. Yeah, they're not paying me this. And I'm, I'm, I'm not eating right. And they're wondering, he's wondering, like, where's your stamina going? Why, why can't you? And I was going, I can't afford a fucking meal, man. So he started buying me food, man. He started buying me groceries. And what year is this before you started? This is 1989, 1990, 1990, 1990, 1980. It's all kind of a big. Somewhere in there. Um, Oh, my God. And I was collecting unemployment. My wife, Barbara, was. And you're uh, like, I'm going to be in this big movie, but I'm fucking broke. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's the secret. I can't tell anybody about it. You know, I can't tell them what I'm doing. Are you like a non-disclosure thing? Like, is it kind of like a secret? kind? Yeah, you had to sign for the script. First time I've ever had to do that. You know, you got to sign for the script. It's it's all, uh, you know, it doesn't leave the premises. And you're like telling you, I'm going to be in this big movie. You're like, yeah, but you fuck, you'd be like, let me borrow five dollars. I didn't have, you know, I, I really should have kind of come forward and come clean and said, hey, uh, I need a little help. Right. Financial assistance during this time would be right. good. But I didn't. But Uzi started buying me stuff, and we just started training, and I threw myself into it. I got, I got into the best shape I've ever been in my career. Right. I was, I was a freak. Right. You know, I, he wanted me to look reptilian. I had a six-pack. I was you. Right. I could run. I could run faster than I'd ever run before in my life. Uh, as a matter of fact, when we shot that scene when I really originally go after John Connor coming out of the garage, you know, that whole big chase scene? Yeah. I caught the kid. Uh-huh. And Cameron was like, what the fuck? I mean, you guys got to go a little bit faster That's now. Everybody's got to cue this fast. This, the movie's over. That's funny. You know, right. you, Jim, Jim was talking about that. There. Jim was warning everybody. He goes, he's fast. That's funny. No, he's really fast. We don't know how fast he is, but we know he's fast. And I literally caught the kid on the bike, and uh, like, they had to in a re- short film. Here. Yeah, yeah, they had to re- they had to figure out re re because uh, that was all one big sequence. Right, and it had to go perfectly. It leads right into the tow truck thing, and just an amazing, uh, amazing thing to be a part of. Even now, when I think back over it, I, I'm how fortunate I am. I'm that, sure. Uh, and that, and uh, what what, what was the it. craziest thing about the making of it? Like in terms of like the hardest scene to shoot like the most intensive part of filming because you guys were shooting on film. Yeah. So that's a, like, that's a whole other thing. Yeah. It's like, I mean, you're shooting, and this is like a, a big film at the time. This is when action movies were fucking action movies. And yeah. Arnold's in his prime. Yeah. You know, this is pre-governor. He's fucking jacked the fuck up. He's like 48. Right. Or, or yeah. So in 48 and Arnold Schwarzenegger, that's like 25 for normal people. Yeah, yeah. He's like, he's like, he was in incredible shape. Right. As a matter of fact, I think his weight, I asked him at one time during the film, I said, what are you, what are you weighing right now? And he said, 195. Wow. And you know, that had another whole thing to it too. Like Arnold was very, you know, he's a competitive guy. Right. And he was, as much as he was willing to give me uh, pats on the back and acknowledge 
what I was doing and that he really thought it was cool. He was also, when I'd walk into that makeup trailer, because we both had our arrival scenes coming up, he'd grab my T-shirt and lift it up and see that six-pack and kind of throw it down because, you know, he had to get to that level too. I got you. You know what I'm saying? I got you. He was like, he was doing the Lou Ferrigno uh, pumping iron uh, psychological warfare on I me. got you. But it was all in good nature. I got you. Know? you. And uh, But Arnold was great. And, uh, you know, Linda, I mean, Jesus, I had a crush on her and she was she was just ripped. Right. Everybody Everybody's was, in shape. Everybody's thumping. Everybody's full throttle. Everybody's going. Jim is at his height of his creativity what is he like as a director what was he like then he was uh incredibly intense um michael i gotta tell you to be honest with you buddy as much as all these good things i was saying about the experience of getting it then there was this insecure part of me that was worried i was going to get fired you know, like what was it just in your head or is yeah, it, it was sort in my of head around I, you? No, it was in my head that was like, I really got to do a good job. I, I mean, there's so much, there's so much pressure, you know, I've got to pull this off. And if, you know, God, I hope they don't fire me. I mean, this is, this is like the, the whole career is being handed to you right now. And, and I had all that crap going on in my head. Um, but, uh, you know, Jim was, I, the reason I bring that up is the way I figured out how I wanted to deal with Jim, it was, I gave him full authority over me. I, I, um, I, I saw him as my drill instructor. I got you. He was my commander. I got you. And I'm, I'm buying into this. And whenever he tells me to do something, there's two things I say. Yes, sir. Right. And that's how I addressed him. It was yes, sir. We want you to do this, da da da. You got to go through here and blah 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 blah. Yes, sir. Uh-huh. I was very. I stuck to myself. I had a mental checklist of things that I wanted to do to make sure that I could pull the character off each day. My, the way I walked, the way I stood, all those things had to be part of that common denominator, that, right. that common thing that I had that went from scene to scene to scene. So I knew what I had to do, and I stuck to myself. I didn't like bullshit on the set. Right. I was very, you know, and and. Um, uh, I, I, I gave him, you know, I, I showed him that respect. I got you. There was only, there, he would come to me from, from, uh, you know, every once in a while he would say to me, what do you think about this? We want you to search through this scene. And he's, you know, he's creatively, he's secure enough to take an idea. Uh-huh. It's not like he's an insecure guy. He's, he's, he's willing to take an idea. I said, instead of coming in here and ripping this room apart, I think that I should be like sense aware, like uh, like uh, code readers in a, in, a, in, a, in a grocery store. I should be able to sweep this room uh-huh. and sense. And then when Through I like find a computer, yeah, and I find that public enemy poster and I rip it down and I sense that this is where John Connor has been storing his letters from his mother. Right. It's a scene that later got uh, edited, but I remember Jim going like, "That's a great idea." So it was originally supposed to be where you tear the whole place up. I was kind of tearing the place apart. And I said, let me smoothly move through here and not cause any problems and just find it. And he was cool with that. And he loved it. So even though I didn't make it to the movie, he loved it. So so where were you when you first saw the final (laughs) movie that everybody saw? Because for some like like again, you know, I'd only seen myself on a big screen once before. In a film at all. Die Hard 2. 
so then to see yourself in this crazy shit, yeah, and you don't even know what like now you can if you do a CGI movie, they can pretty much show you the movie before the movie, like with the green screens, like you know the, the special effects are so. I mean, it's twenty seven years ago. Yeah, yeah, and so, it's everything that I was relying on everything to pull off. I mean, there was moments while I was making the movie where I was going like, you know, to Jim, is this enough? You know, because he would be. I don't want to see anything on your face. There's no expression, no exertion. When you, you know, all that kind of stuff that was, and I was kind of, God, is this enough? Is this enough? Because you can't see what's, like, yeah. you can't see what he's seeing and you're not seeing the special effects. Yeah, and I'm, I'm kind of getting a little concerned about that. And, and um, uh, when I saw the movie. Where were you? Where did you see it first? At a press screening. With, with, all with the- press and people. And that's the first time I saw it. And, uh, and it blew my mind. It blew my mind when I saw it. I was like, oh, my God. They, we have done it. You know, I think the audience is really going to buy this. And <laughs> it's amazing. You know, the, the walk out of the fire. I mean, yep. that, day, that day alone, I remember being in the L.A. Aqueduct with Jim. And they had, they had put me three-dimensionally into the computer. And they had me on a computer walking out. But they'd never done this. They didn't have motion cap, right? So now I had to run up into that fire. You had asked me what was one of the more difficult scenes. It was that scene. Run up there as close as I could to the fire without burning. And me, overzealous, and trying to prove how bad I was, (laughs) went way too close. And my back of my shirt was starting to smoke. And the back of my ears were getting singed. And When you're running away. Well, and and then I I have to run in there and get to the point and I'm waiting, and all the effects are going, and I'm kind of getting myself into my posture. And you're thinking you're the real fucking Terminator. And at I'm this thinking point. I'm the real. I'm thinking exactly. And then I'm watching them, and then they give me a cue. And now I can't just start walking like a normal person. I have to walk in stride and be f- going forward to match the computer thing that's coming in behind me to walk into that close up to where you see me go from metal guy to me with real fire. With real fire behind me. Right. And out. Right. Into, a, into a close-up and then out. And you go, as an audience member, you're going, oh, my God. This guy, you know, that was tough. Right. And we did take after take after take. And Dennis and like, Mira was there. I'm going to catch on fire now. Well, the next take, they go, you know, like he was really concerned. He was like, Robert, you, you got to, dude, you can't do that. We're gonna, we, they, they put fire blankets on me. And I ran in there with fire blankets and they put some fire retardant goo on the back of my ears and did all this stuff to pre- prevent it from happening again. But at the same time, when they would say, ready, you got to go, somebody would have to run in and grab the blankets. And then I'd still have to kind of get set to go to do it. And uh, I was getting a little frustrated. Because I kept thinking it was something I was doing uh. that wasn't wasn't working, and I remember Jim sitting there with me, and he goes, "Buddy, we're making movie history here. What we're doing has never been done. Uh. We got to just do it until uh. we do it, and we get it right. Uh. And we're all going to figure that out right now. That's what this day's all That's about. Cool. So just calm down, stay patient. You know, I know you're getting frustrated because right. I would I would get frustrated from the exactness of how. You know, like walking through the bars. I mean, it's not it's stuff that you and I as actors, we don't think about hitting our mark. Uh-huh. And, you know, we just do it. Uh-huh. But this was different. You got to hit your mark. You can't, and, and you got to kind of walk up to the bar where it's here, but you got to be looking down the hall at Arnold, and I don't want you to blink, 
and I want you to be gazing at him and hit that mark, and it's got to be exactly right. And I would do take after take, and he'd say, you're a quarter of an inch off. You're an eighth of an inch off. Right. It was that exact. Right. It was like acting under a microscope. Right. You know what I mean? Right. And you're going like, oh, my God. I, you know, I, I don't know how to do that. Right. So you'd start to have some doubts. Anyway, it was an amazing experience. So what was the – the movie comes out. It's your first big thing. What was the whirlwind like of the success of that movie? Like, you know, like how did it change your life? Obviously, you become a guy. You're, you, you got press. You have a name. You know, like what was the, the whirlwind of being in that big of a movie at the time for you who had, you know, you had just done Die Hard 2, a small part in Die yeah, Hard 2. and a bunch of Roger Corman movies. Right. Where Jim had started too. Right. He had started with Roger Corman. Right. So we had that in common. Um, it was an interesting thing because being an unknown and then being launched in that movie, probably one of the coolest roles you could ever be launched at. And I still feel people recognize me as the character, but they don't necessarily recognize the actor. It's sort of something I've been dealing with my whole career. I got you. It's not like you're going, oh, that's Robert Patrick. No, it's, oh, that's the Terminator guy. That's the liquid metal guy. That's that That's that guy. Still. Who is that guy? What's right. his name? You know, it's still a lot like that. It, it, to be honest with you, it really is. I mean, it's changed over the years. I right. Mean, uh, it's gotten better, but it's still something I kind of, you know, I, uh, uh, when it first came out, it was the way it went. I don't want to sound like I'm, you know, no, but trying to overspill milk or anything. It's but such it was, a specific, it was such, it was a, such, it was a such an iconic game. film and an iconic role and an iconic game-changing film, and you were so distinct in it, it's almost like you become typecast. I was. I didn't realize it, and people, press were asking me about that, and I was going like, well, how can I be typecast as this? When that movie came out, right, there had been no publicity about my character, right? I was the reveal. So right. now the movie comes out. It's a big hit. And I've got the fact that I'm the Terminator. And we pulled it off so well that when I would go meet with directors for subsequent movies, all they could see was the Terminator. And all they want to talk to you about is like the conversation that I'm having. Yeah. And, and you're like, I want to <laughs> fucking move on, man. It's been two years. And you and, and you do, Michael. You're kind of going like, you're kind of going like. Yeah, I want this fucking part, man. It's like, just one part I did. Right. I did it really well. But now it's up to you to get yourself going in a different direction. And after, after not getting work for like a year and a half. I mean, I didn't work for a year and a half after that movie. Because of just the iconicness. Either I wasn't as good as I thought I was, or you're too freaky just as did, a robot. I, I was too good at it. Right, I got you. Physically, you I can't be a normal person. Like you're like yo, you, you you know yeah, you're good at robot. And I was getting only offered robotic movies. Oh, shit, and, you know, like funny. I'm I'm gonna play like I like yeah yeah fuck I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna that's play another. Funny. I was it was funny thing it was I was getting endorsements. Like I remember I, I beer company. I think it was Budweiser. I don't know. They wanted me to maybe do the T1000. In a commercial kind of kind of a deal, and it was like, I don't, I don't want to do that shit. I don't want to just be known as this guy. That's I not, got you. That's not why I became an actor. I got you. I want to do Copland. I got you. I want to do The Sopranos. I got you. That's so, funny, man. So I, I, it's like you wanted this, and then you get it, and you're like, now, now, okay, now I'm that guy. And people are, you know, people are like, yeah, it's everybody's really kind of cool. Like, hey, man, do the run. <laughs> people would ask you, to yeah, do the walk. Let me see you. And you're kind of going like, uh, okay. Finally, Barbara said to me, she said, well, you know, maybe it's a fluke. Right. Maybe that was it. 
Maybe that's all you get. I said, I just can't believe God would bring me all the way here and then just dump me on my ass and say, you know, figure it out. I just can't believe. So I finally did was I altered my appearance. Mm. I grew my hair long. I grew a beard. I gained some weight. I put the T-1000 behind me. Did you think about like changing your eye color? Because your I, eye I, color was so like, it was like, what's up with this guy's fucking eyes, man? Like, you're freaking me out here. <laughs> well, it helped that he shot it all in, <clears throat> in blue. Right. But uh, uh, I, I, did, I did alter myself to where Robert Lieberman, great director, Robert, Rob Lieberman, was casting Fire in the Sky. And I know they were auditioning a bunch of guys, and, and I went in, and he didn't realize I was the same guy. Oh, okay. And he literally said to me, someone told me after I'd already cast you that you were that guy. Right. And I couldn't believe it because you were such an emotional guy for our movie. Right. And I didn't, you know, I thought of you as like a wooden actor that would, uh, you know, that was it. Right. So... Now I can say, you know, like I've been doing this for 34 years. Now I think I've done enough work. Right. That, you know, I did leave it behind. I got you. And in a, in a weird way, I would, you know, I, I kind of wonder about would I ever want to do it again? And then that brings up that point, would you ever want to do it again? And right. then I'm like, I don't know. I don't, I don't think I could ever do it like that right. again. Right, I don't think I can get myself in that headspace right. again. Right, right. Because you're so hungry and the, the work and... You know not, exactly what I'm talking yeah, I mean, about. It's, it's, it's not jaded, but it's like... You're you're not going next to the fire now. Now it's like get the fucking stunt dump. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like because when Fuck you're that. young, you're like, let's do judo, let's fight for real. I'm gonna go near the fire. Like I listen, I'm gonna be a craft service eating some fucking M and M. Get the fucking guy who wants to go next to cool Jim Cameron. That's cool. You're changing yeah. film. Get another guy because I'm not gonna catch on fucking fire. Yeah. So I I, I know what you mean. You know like, exactly what, what I'm talking you, about. What you what's your tolerance and your patience and your 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 eagerness? It's like a boxer almost. It's like, yeah. are you willing to take the punches? You'll take different punches. Maybe just not catch on fire. Yeah, yeah. So I, you I want to be a Navy SEAL? Yeah, I do really, really bad. Cut to me twenty five years later. You want to be a Navy SEAL again? I don't I know if I want to go the, through the, that the again. The drunken father yeah. of the Navy yeah. SEAL. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's the Navy SEAL. I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, leave that to the young guys. It was the prime of my my physicality, and like an athlete, you know, you got to acknowledge the fact that you know I, I, I'm, I'm probably past my prime with that particular role. So. Copland, which we were in it together. We had so much fun. So much fun. It you was, know how I got that role? How did you get that part? Do you want to know? Because you I were was, already on it. I, yeah, I was. You were already on it. Do we, do we audition? No. You and I have run into each other on different things down yes. the road. But that particular movie, I was in New York, and I was having drinks with Peter Berg at the Oak Room. Uh, at the plaza. I remember. And Meryl Poster was with Peter. Who worked at, at, with at uh, Harvey. And they were having a difficult time casting that role. Right. And she looked at me, and I had a goatee. Right. I looked different. I'd just done striptease. Right. I was doing press. And she kept looking at me, and then she finally goes, what are you doing tomorrow? And I said, well, I got press all day. She goes, if I give you a script, will you read it tonight? I want you to come by and I want you to meet this James Mangold. We're having a tough time casting this role. Right. Okay. Now, I knew about Copland. Right. Everybody knew about it. Everybody wanted to be in it. I wanted to be in it. They wouldn't see me for it. 
No one would see me. I, I couldn't get in for it, right? So now Meryl Posters invited me to go meet James Mangold. So sure as shit, you know, that night I went home and I read that script, fantastic script. I go down the next day, I meet James, I meet Kerry Woods, I meet all them over there. And Jim says to me, will you read for me? And I said, absolutely. And I read a scene and he cast me. And he told me the reason he cast me, not really for what I did in the scene, but the fact that I was willing to read for him, cold. Uh. And, and and it's been a great friendship with James. I right, because you worked with him and walked walk the line. We worked together subsequently, and uh, and I had a great experience working with him on Copland. I don't know about you, but I remember distinctly learning some stuff, specifically camera technique-wise, that helped me considerably in my career afterwards. With Mango? With Mango. Well, what did you learn from him in regards Jim to camera Jim kind of like took me back a little bit and reminded me that this is 35 times as big. Uh-huh. And I don't want you to, you know, I want you, I want you to do nothing. His direction was always, did he ever give you this direction? That's a six. I want you to do a 10. What, he, he never did that he to me. He gave me this fucking Well, you had a different role. You no, know, but he would say, you're, you're at a five. I remember one scene that was like, it was fucking late. And they were like, we got to rap. Because it was, I mean, everything, every scene that I was in was like, we were on the bridge. Were you on the scene of the bridge? I was on the bridge. You know, remember? I was, was like, with you. Had, That's where right. we were they hanging out. Three... Me, you, and Harvey. And, they... and John Spencer. Yeah. And you fucking jump off. Yeah. You remember riding around the back of that Cadillac? Yes. But remember, Do you remember Harvey and I doing that scene? And you were in the back of that Cadillac. Harvey, Harvey, Harvey was going. Keitel. And Harvey was Because you say Harvey now. People go to the, our, the, our producer. Uh, our producer. Harvey yeah. Weinstein. So we got to be clear. But Harvey, I remember Harvey was like, I was. I had all this dialogue to do. I was like, no, I'm fucking Jimmy Connor. We're coming back from wherever the fuck. And Harvey's like, what, what? Why, why, why? I, I don't want to be in the middle of his scene with uh, Jimmy Garofalo. Why, why does that? And, and James said to him, Harvey, his lines are just as important as yours. Right. It was a, it was a lot it of personality. There was a lot of throwing down on it that was, movie. It was a lot of fucking personality. You remember I mean, for that? Me, hell you were in the yes, back. Yes, I remember. Busted, uh, yeah, with the nose. The, the nose. I thing. remember that. I do remember that. And I'm like looking around at you, and I'm going like, "What the fuck? This fuck's taking my dialogue." Yeah, Harvey Keitel. Like, I love Harvey. I call him Uncle Harvey. He's a great guy, he's a good, but he's he's intense. He oh. slapped my fucking face on the bridge oh, yeah, he did. because we they had the reason why they it was so it was even more the George Washington Bridge scene because they were like. One you, of my favorite things I've ever done. Two hours we had to shoot. They said the whole thing on the bottom. It was like three, it was like you have from three to five. They, yeah. they, I mean, you can only rent the bridge for so long. So it was like you got to get out there, shoot the shit, and and fucking get the fuck off the bridge. So you know, rush hour traffic, and we were you know arguing the scene, and I'm like Uncle, whatever the fucking character's <laughs> name was. And I was standing in front of the, the, the camera. And you couldn't hear the, the bridge ab- above us was open. So it was like screaming and yelling. And James Mangold's like this. And Harvey Keitel's there. And you're, it was just nuts. And I was standing. And I got in front. Of, and he smacked my face. <laughs> and it was sort of in the character. Right. You know, but he was, you know, he was like, you know, shut the fuck up, Murray. And move out of the fucking way. Like he was, <laughs> and I didn't know what, you know, but it's Harvey Keitel. And it wasn't right. like he smacked the shit out of me. But he right. smacked me. But I mean, between Harvey Keitel, fucking uh, uh, Robert De Niro, Stallone, Ray Liotta. Oh, I mean, this is a, this is like a lot of shit going. There's on. There's a lot of stuff going on. Well, okay, a couple of things that pop in my head right away. Harvey with you that night. I remember distinctly remember, that happening. Right? I I do, and I remember we were all kind of like, wow. And I remember John. You remember Spencer. him smack me, right? Yeah, and I remember John Spencer was like. 
he had some stuff going on and he was he was worried about some stuff that Harvey was trying to do and he was really standing strong in his what he was doing and then they gave me some cool stuff to do with planting the gun and I had that guy right. what is that guy's name the actor Ah, oh, it's my favorite scene where I'm like, he goes, what the fuck are you doing? I go, what the, what, what the fuck you mean what the fuck I'm doing? We, we did this whole thing. It's, right, I remember. It's one of my favorite things I've ever, uh, I've ever done. Um, what do you remember? Like, who did you, like, Stallone was cool as shit oh, with me. Oh, he was great. Like, yeah, I he had was great. all my Rocky fantasies yeah. come true. Do you, okay, here's one that pops into my mind. My first day, because you're from New York. Yes. I'm from fucking Atlanta, right. Boston, Dayton, Detroit, and Cleveland. So I'm a little worried about... What am I going to sound like? Right, because right? you're with all these New York yeah, guys. authentic guys. So now I fly in early and get a three-week ride-along with the NYPD. Oh, okay. I didn't get that. I, requ- I, 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 I fucking requested it, man. I said, I got to get with these guys. And the whole time I was with these guys, I was picking up their... I, I got a good ear, so mm-hmm. I was picking it up and picking it up and picking it up. And I, I was feeling confident. But my first fucking day, we're at Edgewater, and we're in that uh, little... The little uh, coffee shop. Right. And it's the day after we hid you. Yes. Okay? You jumped off the bridge. Right. Right? And we're in there, and it's me and Arthur Nascarella. Total New Yorker. I'll tell you a great story about... New York actor who used to be a cop. Undercover. Like, he's seen the real shit. Knows how to act for for, for real. Yeah. For real. Right. For real. Yeah, he's an undercover cop, so acting in Copland's like a fucking joke. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I mean, we could cut. Yeah. So he's there, and De Niro's coming in, and Keitel's there. So me, Harvey, uh, Arthur, and and, and De Niro's coming in. Okay. So it's the start of the day. And the light's coming in that window, and we're all there, excuse me, by the window. And Jim's trying to figure out how he wants to shoot this thing, and De Niro's going to come in. But I think it was the first time De Niro and Keitel were on screen together in a long time. Since Taxi Driver. And there was a give and take that was not happening with them. Explain that. Well, De Niro was trying to figure out how to get the advantage on Keitel, and Keitel was trying to figure out how to get the advantage on De Niro. In and they weren't to the gonna... character, or is, is sort of like... it's. I think it's all in one. Personally, yeah, I, I think that, I think that Mr. De Niro is always looking out for Mr. De Niro, and I think that Mr. Keitel is looking out for Mr. Keitel. And they're friends, and, and there's a little yeah, there's you know, competitiveness, and, man. And they're 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 not friends in the movie, and yeah, you know, I, I they're felt laying there was- out their territory. So this goes on, Mikey. They come in. And and De Niro's going like, well, I think I should get the drop on him. And and Harvey's like, well, I think I should see him first before he sees me. And we should, I don't think, you know. And this it, is off camera. This is what sides in their hands. You're trying to figure it out. Yeah, they're trying to block and the And what scene. are you thinking to yourself? I'm just sitting there going, oh, my God. That's Bobby De Niro. That's Harvey Keitel. And what the fuck am I doing and here? And the fan of you, the fan yeah. of you. And I'm sitting there, and, and this Arthur Nascarello is the sweetest man in the world who is taking me under his wing and really helping me with my my accent, my dialogue. God bless him. He's a saint. He's you know he's he's been given he's been given to me to help me, right? So I was really tight with Arthur, and Arthur was like such a big brother to me. It was fantastic. Uh, we're watching him do it, and then there's James Mango comes walking around. He's going like, and he says to me under his voice, "Jesus Christ, if this continues, I'm just going to be roadkill. I got to do something." And I hear him saying this to me as he's walking by. Stallone comes in and goes, "What the fuck is going on?" Like, not to them, to me. Like, I have the answers. And I'm looking at him going like, 
I don't know, man. They're, they're really, they're, they're having a, they're, they're trying to block the scene out. I don't, neither one wants to yield to the other one. Some it's territory, man. It's a territory thing, you know? It, it, that's what it looked like, right? Absolutely. And didn't you, you know what's interesting about Stallone? But isn't that play- funny that, that Jim, Jim had the, the, the wherewithal to know that he's got to stand up to these guys eventually. At a certain, certain point. At right, it's going like to be fucking today, chaos. Today. Because it's, you you know, you yeah. lose the film. Yeah. There's a lot of personalities. And the crazy thing about, like, even what you just said about Stallone, it's like, Stallone, I mean, when I worked with him on that film, now listen, I saw Stallone a few years after that, he barely fucking remembered me. Barely I don't fucking believe rem- that. But, but that's, I mean, it was cool. I mean, he was cool with me, and he was, but it was like, you know, with for me, I'm like working with literally the guy, the first movie that made an impression on me. For him, he's working with an actor. So it wasn't like, it's not like the biggest deal for him. Right. He was totally cool when we worked, and he was fine when I saw him later. It wasn't mean. I was just like, you know, the, 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 uh, He's on to he's on to seventeen different other things, right? So so, but but the interesting thing about the, Stallone's place in that film was that he, because of the character, was sort of a schlep, and you know he had put the weight on. He was sort of like one of the guys, like, and he was sort of sort of proving himself. So like you're right, and if it's a Rambo film or a Rocky film, he's the authority, he's the director. Right. He's still, it was interesting because he sort of was like, I'm just a guy here, like right. I want to, like he sort of lowered himself like his he, he had checked his ego at the door you you know you're absolutely right do you remember he showed me something he said here's my character and there was something he was carrying in his pocket and he had a little jade turtle i remember you right I remember. that's my character he was a turtle i remember i thought how genius yeah Here, here's this superstar yeah that still cares enough about his seriously. acting yeah, that he takes it very, very serious. What, what else do you remember about like those guys? On, on, on I just remember Harvey Keitel yelling at Peter Berg, which to this day, in real life, yeah, did it was one of those like slapping you, getting out of the moment thing. There was a thing, there was a scene like like my guy wanted to be Ray Liotta's guy, right? Ray Liotta's guy was the guy my guy aspired to be. He right. was my hero. Right. I looked up to him. Right. He disappointed me, you son of a bitch, you traitor, you moved off. You fucking supposed to you're supposed to fuck him, not shack up with him. Right. Whatever I say to him, right? It was that scene in the little diner thing. Right. And Berg was standing up to Harvey, talking off camera, not rolling, and doing something and get ready to do his scene where he's going to be addressing us. And Harvey just went, shut the fuck up! And I saw Peter just go, what the fuck? <laughs> and, it, you know, it was like, it, it really, it, it unnerved him. And uh, I, I don't know what, what, what caused it. I, uh, I was like, what the fuck was that? Uh, Why is Harvey doing that? Uh and then the scene, then the scenes happening now after, but now Peter's a little bit more cautious, right? So there was something behind it. There it was, was crazy. There was man. some sort of agenda behind it. It was crazy. Like I was so excited to be in the movie, and like with those Kathy guys, Moriarty's in it, Annabelle Shiora, every fucking body was in it. It was an unbelievable cast. And those guys, I mean, I like like I remember the first day of work for me. Um, you were with Noah Emmerich. Yep. No, I had no because I had no Noah um, from Beautiful Girls. But I, the first day that I shot, we were out there where we, we it was the last scene in the film where they they bring me into the police thing, and it's me, oh god, Stallone, yeah, Ray Liotta, yeah, and Robert De Niro, and I'm like, oh shit, 
Like I, I'm like I, I knew at the time I was like I was like I know I'm gonna kick ass. I'm gonna do my thing. But when I was when we were reading the sides, like when we were just sort of getting there, and I remember distinctly James Mango going, "Mike, this is Bob," and it's like, and he's talking about De Niro, and I'm like, "How you doing, Bob?" And it, but like I had to like go, this is fucking game time. Yeah. Like I had to check my fucking fan, but I'm like, oh shit, fucking Robert De Niro's to 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 the right of me. Harvey Keitel's over here, and fucking Stallone is in front of me, and I'm like, yo, this is fucking crazy. Yeah, this I know. is nuts. That is the crazy part of it. Just as a fan, I'm you like, got to work within that environment right. with these guys that you 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 you've admired their work for years. You know all their moves, yeah. like the dimple. Bob has the fucking dimple. Yeah. Like the, the first time I'm seeing Robert De Niro's on the set. I'm like, oh shit! I'm like, he's got the mustache. I'm like, you know, you know what he's gonna do? What his character? He's got his hair. He's got his suit. I was like, this is fucking crazy. You remember how he does this thing where he kind of, yeah, okay. You see him do the face. I you saw him do that. Do the I Niro saw him do that that day. I was talking to him in the di- the diner, right? And he's snapping this bag, and it all becomes about this coffee that he's buying. And I'm over there with Harvey and those guys. This is the first day, and when we actually film it, and he pops the bag and he puts the. Co- and he kind of does that. The De Niro face. You go like, "What the fuck was that?" What I, the I, power I, behind? I, I know. It's it, like whoa. Because the the crazy thing also about De Niro, like I've spent brief time with him off camera. I don't know him socially. Me, I see him at Tribeca Film Festival. Nicest guy. But when you see him click on, you know how I know he's a great actor. There's a picture of me talking to him. Like somebody took it when I was at the Tribeca Film Festival a few years ago. It's basically how are you doing? What's going on? The conversation's sixty seconds, but when you look at him talking to me, it's looked like we're in such deep conversation because just there's something about him. Yeah, there's just something about his face. You know, like so much of acting to me is energy. Yeah, like you know, you have an energy. I have an energy. Christopher Walken has an energy. Yeah, Harvey Ke- and your you know your energy. You know, if it's unique, people take to it. You know, you you had a, a fucking creepy energy on Terminator. You're trying to get rid of it. You know, and the thing like De Niro, like this picture, it's just like somebody took it on their cell phone. There's just something about his face, the way he looks at people, that it looks like it looks like we're having this intensive conversation. And he literally was saying, How you doing? Thanks for coming to the Tribeca Film Festival. But it looks like it's like there's some real shit. That's going. cool. Well, what That's kind cool. Of, Aside from he that, was great to me. That, totally that, that cool. Day, he threw some ad libs to me, where I had to like use my accent for the first time, and I was like, <laughs> "You're doing a New York accent." Yeah, with- I was kind of like, I went with it. I did it. I I, I proved myself. But well, uh, well, you know, you've worked with so many uh, great actors, like uh, you know, and, I, and we've been talking so much about these two films. I want to throw names at you, like in terms of, you know, what what makes them great, what makes them special. Like yeah. you worked twice, Joaquin Phoenix. Love him. What is he like on his set? Like, he's a fucking actor. Yeah. That's an intense motherfucker. Yeah, he's incredibly intense. His whole process, the way he goes about it, I'm not, I'm not even going to say I can, can completely understand it. He puts himself through such uh, work to get to where he's going to be to do what he's going to do. There's a level of commitment that he has, uh, a sincerity to the art and an appreciation. He doesn't edit himself. He's... Mm. he's uh, He's incredibly bright. Mm-hmm. Um, I've I've never seen Walk really struggle with the two films I was with him. He's always he's he's able to connect to it right away. I mean, he, the work he must do at home that we don't see 
that's what I'd be interested in is, is his process to see what he actually does to get to where he does. I know when we were doing Ladder 49, and I met with James Mangold afterwards, and he said, how was your experience working with Joaquin? And I said, I loved him. He was like a little brother to me. I loved him. Couldn't, couldn't say anything but nice things about Joaquin. Uh, sweet, caring, sensitive guy. Uh, he said, what do you think about playing his father for Walk the Line? And I said, wow. I, I would love that. I think the only thing that we should do out of respect to Joaquin is I don't want to be a distraction because we have become friends. Mm. And if he's going to look across and see his buddy, not his dad, mm-hmm. I don't want to do it. Mm-hmm. So let's ask him. And he was all in. He loved the idea. And that's how I ended up doing Walk the Line. So, uh, you know, with Walk saying, yeah, I want you to do it. And and that's such a, that is a dark, intense, impressive film from everybody oh yeah what was going on when you were making that film like in terms of the vibe of the set that was a it was a very intense film it was another mango film i mean you know jimmy's i think one of the best filmmakers of our generation myself uh the stuff he just did in logan is incredible yep um and i want to work with him again as i know you do yep uh you're all in there's a there's a just a level of commitment that everybody has, you know, you're going to make something very artistic. And I think we all knew what we were doing with walk the line. And I think there was also the underlying thing that we all wanted to do a nice tribute to Johnny cash. I know how hard Joaquin had worked to do Johnny cash, just the task of a little five foot nine actor playing a six foot four giant of, uh, a uh, physical stature, mm-hmm. you know, I mean the whole way he approached it and pulled it off, I thought was amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, you know, I, I think uh, Reese Witherspoon did an amazing Ridiculous. job. Um, and, and Mangold, like, I mean, you know, when they were doing those singing, I don't remember what song, but there was this one, like, they clearly shot the whole thing through. Yeah. You know, and I'm like, yo, this is, these motherfuckers are really doing this shit. Oh, yeah. Well, what, 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 I went over to Joaquin's house, uh, after Ladder 49 and he took me down in the sound studio and he said, I want to play something for you. And he played tracks from Walk the Line, the music that was already scored of him singing the Johnny Cash songs. And and it was produced by T-Bone Burnett, who's Mm. unbelievable. And it sounded like Johnny Cash. I was like, oh my God, that's you. And he went, yeah. That's me. What do you think? And I was like, you fucking sound like Johnny Cash, dude. You've nailed it. I mean, it, it was so, you know what I'm saying? There was, yeah. a, there was a, there was a, and that's, those are the actors that I, that's what I appreciate most about acting, I think. Uh, and I think the ones that are really, really great at it are the ones that have that commitment and, and really rise to the occasion uh, and are willing to put themselves through whatever they got to put themselves through to get to that level. Mm -hmm. I admire that. I respect it. I mean, when I got into acting, that was the kind of acting I wanted to do. Right. I want to commit. Right. You know, when I was working with Leota on Copland, he didn't give me the time of the day. Me neither. He fucking just intimidated the shit out of me. And the it's whole like you're, fucking you're seeing time. Henry Hill, it's Ray Liotta. Yeah, and I'm looking at him going like, what the fuck did I do to that guy? What? Oh, I this is something, it's part of his process. Right. So you know that scene where he takes the dart and he shoves me around? Yes. And he's slamming me around, he's got that dart in. Yes. This is after I've stood up to him. Yes. And, you know, and he's slamming me around and you know, that scene, we shot that all fucking day. And I mean, my nose was really bleeding by the end of it. I was damn near crying near the end of it, man. It just beating the fuck out of me. 
And finally, when it was over, he like threw me into the wall and I'm just sitting there kind of fuming. I'm, I'm slumped down on the wall and he goes, what do you think about that Terminator? And from that moment on, he became my friend. I, so he was sort of like winking. He did it to me all the way he knew. He was going to treat me a certain way up until that scene, and then from then on, we could be buds. I got you. So that was his process. I got you. And you got to be hip to that. I got you. Because I, I think you got to have a certain amount of respect for somebody to allow them to do their thing. I agree. And not, and not and, try but to- you don't want you don't want them to walk all over you either. Right. You don't want to take it too far. But, but, you, but you would like, I, I agree. I agree. You know, as long as it's done in a certain level of respect and, and as long as you, we could both get off and as long as nobody's getting hurt. Yeah. And I say get off, I mean, in terms of like, I could do my thing and yeah. you could do your yeah. thing. That we, we are supporting each other. Right. And Which if is, it means you fucking, I mean, no one's going to like, you know, like when I said Harvey Keitel smacked me, it wasn't like I said, like I said, it wasn't like he hurt me, but I was, it was enough to be like. Smack my face, but also it's like it's kind of cool because I'm like Harvey Keitel smacked <laughs> smack my face. face, and he probably wouldn't even remember that he smacked yeah. my face. And I'm yeah. kind of like because he was in the moment, right? He was in the moment, right? And he's in it's in the context of the scene. He's yelling at me. I'm yeah. his, I'm his, he's yeah. my uncle. You uh you uh, touched before we started this interview. We were talking about you want you were asking me some questions about Denzel Washington. Well, how good is he? And I want to bring this up because he's he's like a method. You worked actor. with him on Safe House, Safe House, and I got a scene where I waterboard, right? And we started shooting that scene for Daniel Espinosa. Excuse me, down in South Africa. You, know, you were in I, South Africa? I was in South Africa shooting that film. Wow. And I remember, and, you know, he's this terrorist guy that is being brought in, and we're in an elevator, and we're CIA guys, and we're bringing him in to this safe house to hold him, and he's like one of the most wanted guys. He's an ex-CIA agent that's gone bad. And he didn't, he didn't want to talk to anybody. He was all method. In between take, Yeah, he was in there. He, he was a prisoner. He was getting himself into his own thing, doing his thing, locking into what he was doing. And then we go in and we're doing the scene and we got this whole dialogue scene that, that leads to me finally having to waterboarding. And I don't want to do it. And Daniel Espinosa is a great director, young director. He said to me, look, I want you to play this where you've got the utmost respect for this guy and you're so disappointed in what he's done. He's like your hero. He was like great above you at, at uh, the CIA place, wherever, you know, Quantico or whatever the hell. And you respect him, but you're so disappointed that he's gone rogue. Mm. And how could he do that? And that's why you can do this. But I want there to be regret mm. that you're about to do what you're going to do, mm -hmm. which was a great choice. I didn't really kind of see that coming, but that's the way we went with it. And I watched Denzel do this, take after take, and then it came up to where we're actually going to do the waterboarding. And he actually did the waterboarding. Shit. That's what I said. I said, <laughs> what the fuck? You, wait a minute. I got, and I'm the guy. Okay, so Robert, here's how we're going to do this. The stunt guy's going to say, Denzel's really going to do this. Okay, so what's my responsibility? You got to pour it, but you got to do like a five, six count. Five, six beats. And you got to stop. No matter what he's doing, you got to stop. So pour it, do it. But keep mental clock going during the take, and you got to stop. Even if he's asking, like, you have to stop yes. just for his safety. For his safety. He's not going to tell you that. Right. He's going to go for it. We're relying on you. <laughs> right. So you've got this megastar, unbelievably talented actor, 
that's fully committed to what he's doing and his safety is now in your hands and you've got a fucking bucket of water and you've got to put a you know, cloth over his head, over his mouth, and you got to start pouring water into to his... You're torturing the guy. Right. For real. Right. Uh, you know, the pressure, the, uh, I don't want, you you just don't want to fuck up. Right. You know, your responsibility to this guy, you, right. his safety. And man, he did it take after take after take. I could, it's the damnedest thing I've ever seen. He, I, I waterboarded Denzel Washington for real. And what was his response after each, like, he was pissed off, you know, as a character. I mean, you know, snot, dude, the vanity, he had no vanity. He would come up from doing and shit was coming out, and boogers and crap was coming out of him. I mean, he was so into it. He was so into what, it. What, in my opinion, I mean, going, he's oh so good. God. Yeah. Consistently good. Unbelievable. Before Safe House, after Safe House, every... What do you think it is about specifically him? Like, I what's think, your takeaway? And as a fan, and as continuing to see what... What is it about him that makes him so special? I think he's just... Uh, I think he's so comfortable... And relaxed and aware of his talent and knows what he has to do on whatever his process is. And he doesn't have any insecurity about that mm. stuff. He's a very confident man. So whatever his process is, and you and I both know that acting is confidence because mm-hmm. you have to have it. And you, you have to have done the homework Mm -hmm. to prepare yourself to get in there and do it that moment. And Mm -hmm. people are relying on you to be a professional, Mm -hmm. to have your work done, to know your dialogue, to know what you know, what you're supposed to do. You can't come in there and wing it with Mm -mm. these guys Mm -mm. because they're not winging it. No, not one of these guys that we're talking about is winging it. No. And that's why they're at the top of what they do. Yeah. They take it very serious. There's respect for the craft. Yeah. For each other. Yeah. And, uh, you know that's that's what I love about acting. I, I we're all striving to do something really really great, and uh, Denzel's got it, man. And he's it's sick. not an arrogance either. It's just a confidence. Yeah, I mean, and it's he's earned it all. Yeah, he's undoubtedly one of the best actors of our generation for sure. Sopranos, obviously iconic show, uh, iconic character Tony Soprano, Tony S. Um, I had the pleasure of working with him. His first film. True Romance. Oh, that's right. And and it was just, I mean, you know, he has well, a scene. you've worked with so many wonderful people in your career. And, I mean, he, he was so like, I mean, we were all on that set like, what the fuck are we doing here? And he was like even more so than me. He had done nothing. He'd done like some, and he was like, what the fuck? And he, you know, and he's just, and at the time, he's just like young James Gandolfini. And he looked, I mean, he was, he wasn't, he didn't have the belly of Tony Soprano. He was like a fucking hitman. Yeah. And he played a hitman. He was a force of nature. So, I mean, w- Sopranos. You did three episodes of Sopranos. I did three episodes you of Sopranos. You got smacked around by Tony Soprano. I and got the great, the late great James Gandolfini, who bitch, left us too soon. Bitch slapped. Oh, I miss him. What a, what a wonderful, wonderful man. I'm going to tell you a cool story. Uh, my acting coach read that, and I had been offered to do another movie for a lot of money. A piece of shit movie that we don't need to mention. One of those art box movies. Or go do The Sopranos for scale or whatever the hell the HBO For just was three paying. episodes. Yeah, yeah. Not even a guarantee of three, just one. And I had met David Chase, and David Chase and I were friends. We had met a couple years earlier before The Sopranos for something. But he called me up and said, no one would ever cast you this way. You got to read the script and get back to me within 24 hours. 
So I remember reading the script and saying, oh my God, this is, this is fantastic. I'm, did, I'm, it, did his scripts read well? Yeah. And I was like, I wasn't as familiar with The Sopranos as I should have been because it was kind of new. Mm-hmm. But my acting coach, Steve Bridgewater, said to me, he said, you got to do this. You do this. You had an acting coach at the I time? I still do. I still have a guy that I work with. I, I have a guy that I work with. He's kind of like my mentor creatively uh, and helps me out with a lot of stuff. Gotcha. I, I love to think about stuff. And, That's and good. come up with ideas. And uh, I trust him very much. He, um, so he said, you got to do it. You got to do it. Here's why you got to do it, he said. Because everybody in Hollywood is watching this show. And you pull this off. It's a pivotal point in your career. You pull it off. It's going to open up doors for you. And he was right. We worked our ass off on it. I go there. I'm there at Silver Cup Studios in Queens. I fly in from the, uh, the, the Venice Film Festival. I've never met James Gandolfini before. This is the first time they're bringing in an actor from L.A. to come play a part. They, they were considering me like a movie star or mm-hmm. something, you know, like coming in to read for this part, mm-hmm. right? And I'm kind of like, eh, whatever. A bunch of New York actors, right? And I'm on. I've read the script. I've, I've prepped my scenes. I was ready at the, at the, at the read-through. I was ready. And they, they were all aware. And my coach had said something to me. He said, you know, before you s- film that scene with uh, Gandolfini where he's going to bitch slap you around, tell him to bring his A game. So we're out in front of the Silver Cup Studios and we're having a cigarette after the read through And I say, to, I say to Jim, we're talking, we're kind of getting to know each other. We're supposed to be high school buddies. I say, hey, tomorrow, make sure you bring your A game. Oh, shit. He fucking stands up to me and looks at me like this. He's got a cigarette. He goes, oh, I'll fucking bring my A-game tomorrow. And he flicked the cigarette? And walked off, right? So the next day I get there, you know, Jimmy, next day I get there, this is the day he's going to bitch slap me and throw me all around. He's in my sporting goods store. He's going to collect the money. And he walks in and he just reeks of alcohol and he's fuming. He's just like a fucking bull. He goes, how's your balls? And I go, I, I, they're all right. How's yours? He goes, I'm fucking hungover. Let's do this. And I fucking, it's like one take. He's just on me, grabs me, throws me into a fucking wall. I'm crying like a little bitch. He's throwing me around. No, 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 no. One fucking take. And that was it. That was it. Unbelievable. The power of that guy, the yeah. intensity of that guy. But, you know, we had the best time. I had lunch with him and his dad. There was such a nice mutual respect between me and Jimmy. Um, I was so happy to see where that show went because at the time when I was doing it, they had just come back from the Emmys mm. and realized what a big deal they were. Right. It was still, it wasn't it, iconic, iconic. It was it was popular, but it wasn't this game-changing it, thing. Yeah, na- that, now they were on their way. And I was right in there right after that, Michael. <laughs> and, uh, Go ahead. And no, and, and I mean, it was just an amazing thing to see. And it was such a gifted actor, so willing to try things. So good. So uh, about a year ago, I know about six months ago, I get, a, I get a phone call from a mutual friend that says his son... Michael Gandafini wants to talk to me and he wants to get a tribute tattoo to his dad and that he wanted me to take him to the place wow. to get the tattoo. And did you take him? And I did. And he got a picture. Of, he got what a, was the version of his father that he got? I don't know if Michael wants me to reveal okay. that because it might be personal. Don't even, don't even. But it was sweetest thing I ever saw and, and uh, it, it, it really meant a lot to me. Uh, that f- for some reason I was in the position of taking James's son to uh, get his first tattoo, and it was a tribute to his dad. That's fucking cool, man. It's cool, right? That's really cool. Um, 
I'm gonna a couple of questions. I would rattle off. All right. How quickly do you know when you're doing some something a piece of shit? Because I've always had a knack. I listen. I, I have I have my gifts and my my curses and my talents. I've had a knack for knowing this is a piece of shit. Like whether it's a piece of shit scene. Piece of shit episode, piece of shit movie. I will know. Listen, you never intend. You know, fans will be like, that sucked. I'm like, I know it sucked, motherfucker. Yeah. You don't have to fucking tell me that it yeah. sucked. But like, do you know when you're doing something bad? Because um, we know when we're doing something good. Yes. And, like, you're, you, and you're elevating your game to that. The, the toughest part for us is we've got to make a living. That's what people don't understand. And the toughest part for us is, is you know, just like everybody else, we have to have cash coming in. We've got bills. And we work sporadically. Right. You know, when something's offered to us, we work, and other things are offered to us. So we'll make decisions, and we're not the only ones, you and I. Everybody does it where they go like, God, this is not really the best thing. I should not be doing this, but I really could use the money, and I'm going to do work. it. And I want to work. So there's... There's quite a few. I would say there's a bunch of things on my resume that I would say it's not the best movie. <laughs> I gave it my all. Do you know right away though? Yeah, you mean, know right. You know, Me too. You know, you go in, you go in. I mean, I'm, I mean, who's kidding who? The whole reason I went and did The Sopranos was because a lot of these movies that I was doing, I was making big coin on, were going right to DVD. Right. So who gave a shit? Right. The thing that that did finally for me doing The Sopranos, it opened up the door for for TV, where all of a sudden I realized. You know, The Sopranos is great writing. What else on TV is great writing? Which opened up the door for The X-Files. Right. It's great writing. Which is another, I mean... It's a great... That was a great two years of my life. I love doing that. And that it would, I mean, we talked at the beginning about the cult stuff. Yeah. It's its iconic and got a cult following, <sighs> but... It, Talk you know, about cult. But, but I think that's the thing for an actor. Not all of us can be Daniel Day-Lewis. Not all of us can be Leonardo. And he could pick and choose and manufacture. I mean, yeah. how many? Make sure it. You know, it's the best of the best of the best of the best. You work when you want. The money's fucking coming at you know. Or Will Smith or Brad Pitt. So people, exactly. But, but I tell people, yo, listen, like that was a piece of shit. I go, I fucking know. Yeah, you're, don't don't think the that food I don't know too. Yeah, but but here's the deal: craft service was shit too. Our our creative integrity is solely based on our financial integrity. <sighs> That's true. I'm a cocky motherfucker if I got a, a big bank account. Right. I'll turn that shit down. Fuck turn that. Fuck you. I'm not doing me. that. But you fucking day. Want me to come in and fucking, fucking meet you for this. Let's fucking do How this dare you? Fuck out of here. All right. Then talk to me with. Uh, hey, Where, you, when? Well, well, hey, kids going to college. Where, when? Yeah. <laughs> Fuck. All right. How much is it? Sure. I'll try to make it work. Right. And then, you know, a lot of times when I've done things that aren't that great, you know, the thing is, is like the, the process, the doing of it. Like, I've done a, a bunch of things that aren't great, walked away saying, like, if people say, what's your best time making a movie? I'm like, I can't even mention these. Th you wouldn't have never seen it because, you, you, you know, you give it your all. You work. It's the process and the going to work and who you're working with, where you're working, the time of year, what's going on in your life. It's sometimes different than the outcome. Uh, you know, like, Copland wasn't the most fun movie to make because of the intensity. Yeah, I mean, it was fun as far as an actor, but it was like it was like fuck is going. What's gonna What's gonna happen next here? Like, yeah. I got James Mangold giving me direction. Like, that was a six. I need you to bring a twelve. I got Harvey <laughs> Keitel smacking me. Yeah, like Ray Liotta won't talk to me. I mean, you this got is Robert a, Patrick and Arthur Nascarella trying to drown you in a pool right, for Christ's sake. Not like fun. You what know the what I mean? fuck? Yeah, it's not like it's like the most thing, but you know, so it's it's different things. All right, you're the star of Scorpion. 
Well, so I'm, I'm one of the stars. The, the star is Elias Cabell. Yes, it's, it's a few stars. You're one of the stars of It's Scorpion. an ensemble. Yes, it's an ensemble show. Successful show. I saw The Last Rampage, which is coming on... Last Rampage. Thank you for seeing it. That's coming. You, yeah, because I saw you at the Rich Eisen show, and you told me to see yeah, it. And I said, uh, I'm going to fucking see it. It's and a I, dark movie, isn't it? And you produced it. I did produce it. I didn't finance it, but I produced it with uh, D- Dwight Little. And how uh, hard was is how hard is it to get a small film made today? Really hard. Hard. Really. Explain hard. What, what that means. Well, you got to get the money together to shoot. We had a sparse script, which allowed us to, you know, control the elements and, and the number of sets and all that kind of stuff. We had a very very sparse crew. We didn't pay the actors anything. The script itself was the enticing thing. Right. Right. Because it was some great roles. Yes. However, you know, having looked at the film, I wish we would have given Bruce Davidson a little bit more to do. It's so heavy on my character, mm-hmm. and my guy is a piece of shit. Mm-hmm. Why would you like him? Mm-hmm. So we, I think if we given Bruce a little bit more to do, maybe to made the movie a little bit better, or given more of a reason for why I was the way I was. Mm-hmm. Having said that, I'm damn proud of the performance because yep. it's uh, it's it's one of my favorite things I've ever done. Uh, but uh, it's so hard to get it uh, made and then get it released. And we did get a limited theatrical release, but in this, this day and age, I mean, character driven stories are just not getting made. Right. So the chance of what's the chance of a Copland getting made now? I mean, even with those, those guys, I mean, we didn't get paid a lot when we made the movie, even with those actors, yeah, that kind of film, it's like, who the fuck is going to go see this shit? Who's making those kind of movies? Who's making them? There's so much stuff on TV. There's so much Netflix. There's so much Amazon. There's so much Scorpion. There's so much good. There's so much, you know, you, you could stay on Instagram for two hours and, you know, do it for free. So there's, it. the movie business has changed. The movie business has changed. The whole industry's changed since you and I've been doing it. Now, you know, we're, we're doing TV. Mm-hmm. Uh, We'll do films. We'll jump in and do mm-hmm. films. But it doesn't matter anymore. No. Now it doesn't matter. No. You got Jason Bateman doing Ozarks. Yep. It's a great show. Yep. Great writing. Alec Baldwin's it's, doing another TV show. It's on Netflix. But is Netflix a TV show? I don't no. know. Because you stream it on your TV. But it, what is it really? I mean, there's the TV. I don't. It's, it's a whole other place. It's a new paradigm. It's a whole other fucking, yeah. you know, thing. And I, and I think it's good. You know, the thing for me as a fan, I'm like, I, I just get... And I'm part of it. You know, like I haven't been to, I don't go to the movies like I'm used to. You screen it. Screen I saw, it. Well, you get the, get the, you screeners, know, the screeners, you screen it. You know, you wait, you're like, oh, I'll just wait till it's on iTunes or Netflix. It's, that's sort of sad to say, but it's when sad. you do I'm go, a fan. I know. And when you do go to a movie, you remember what, oh yeah, this is why I used to go to movies. Yeah. Because the whole experience. It's different. And I don't want to lose that. I agree. But I'm culpable in the sense that I'm kind of sit at home in my big screen TV and, can recreate the experience of going to a theater. So why bother going out? I agree. I get you. All right. Robert Patrick. Mikey, it's so great to see you, man. You're awesome, bro. Absolutely, man. You're so awesome. Scorpion. So engaging. This guy is unbelievable. I could watch him forever. The Last Rampage. Is it on Netflix? It's it's Last Rampage. It's coming to Netflix February 1st. Okay. Uh, It's in Redbox now. Yep. It is on demand. Dope film. It got great reviews. Uh, Scorpion is Monday nights, 10 o'clock, CBS. Fourth season. Fourth season. We're going to keep going. We're going to keep going. We're going to keep going. Uh, Nick Santora, great writer, wonderful showrunner. Tell him Uh, I said what's up. 
and come do the show. I knew him when he was a fucking lawyer. He I say, say I was with Rappaport. So he says he says he he inspired you. It, see what he said. That's my guy. <laughs> okay, I love Will. He's I a will. good dude. Come do Scorpion. Uh, let's do it. You would be hilarious. Let's do it. I'll get nuts over there. You would be fucking let's get nuts. Let's get nuts. All, All right, right, buddy. Did I tell you? I don't steer you wrong. I steer you strong. I want to thank my man Robert Patrick for rocking me on the Iron Rapport Stereo Podcast. His show Scorpion. You can see it on CBS every single week. Uh, great interview, great insight. Um, and I appreciate you coming on the Iron Rapport Stereo Podcast. Um, what else, Moody? I don't know what else. You, you, you know uh, what I want to. You know what I wanted to ask you about, G. What's up? What's up? Um, this goes back to School ED, which brings us all the way back to the sick fuck in Philadelphia who ate the shit. The School ED, a lyric, looking at my Gucci, it's about that time. For MC mm-hmm. School ED to start busting a rhyme. Matter of fact, Miles, cue School ED for a second. Looking at my Gucci, it's about that time. Okay. Um, Gucci. Now, I, I know Gucci is, 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 is sort of, from, for High everybody in. from School ED and everybody for, before him, Gucci is, is very in, in, in sort of intertwined with clothes he wears. Dapper Dan is actually doing stuff with Gucci. If you don't know who Dapper Good. Dan is, uh, going back to Eric B. and Rakim, paid in full. Dapper Dan is a guy who was making sort of hood hip-hop versions of, of Gucci, taking like the, the Gucci logo and freaking it and flipping it into a whole other thing. Yeah. So people think Gucci is dope. And obviously in the terms of hip hop, it's about, you know, opulence, success, you know, Euro. This is the early stages of hip hop and, and, and all that. But I was looking at actual Gucci clothes. Somehow I wound up on the Gucci site. Now I don't fuck with Gucci, Monetti. Have you ever owned any Gucci anything? No. Uh. Uh-uh. Why not? Nah, I never. It's too. It, it's too fucking much. It's like, you know, it was too much. It's too rich for my blood. I can't afford that shit. And even if you could afford it, the thing I noticed about Gucci clothes and and the Gucci stuff out today, if it wasn't Gucci, you wouldn't be caught fucking dead in this stuff. All right. The designs. <laughs> Are so fucking tacky and gaudy and over the top and just yuck. Like right. fucking, I mean, just way the fuck. I mean, I don't know why anybody, aside the fact that it's Gucci, would rock this shit with the with you the patches why? and the fucking logos. And you know what it looks like now? You remember that brand Von Dutch that was popping in the early 2000s, like with the trucker hats and it has like tigers and yeah, and it looks like that. Gucci looks like Von Dutch. It looks like, like, who the fuck is wearing this shit? Like, maybe if you're at an Israel EDM party uh, for New Year's Eve and you want to get totally fucking nuts. But other than that, I don't see why anybody would ever wear this fucking nonsense with the uh, orange yo. pants and the fucking, and, and it's got like pigeons and rabbit, you know, designs. And it's just, who wears this shit? Yo, I know why. If that G, that interlocking G, wasn't on it, no one would wear it like, like they're wearing it. If people want to be branded like cows. And if you really know anything about manufacturing and clothing, 
You know they make these fucking clothes in the third world shit pit. So that that shit that you pay fifteen hundred dollars for is it costs ten dollars to produce. So who's the asshole? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I'm looking right now. I'm breaking rule number one of the I Am Rapport Stereo podcast to reference what I saw. I'm looking at an embroidered corduroy bomber jacket that's $9,950. Oh, what a markup. It's got every fucking color in the crayon box, and it's got two fucking parakeets, twin parakeets on the front. I wouldn't be caught. You could give me this. And I would bring it right the fuck to the Salvation Army like I do with half the shit that I get. I would donate it. I wouldn't I, be caught dead. I wouldn't put it on my worst enemy. I, yo, yeah, I understand. 9000 and it costs maybe no, no, $50 no. to no, produce. No, no, no. $9,950, the red and blue embroidered corduroy bomber jacket. Uh, yo, 1,000% profit. Man, Gucci, Gucci doing it big, man. That shit don't cost nothing to produce. They don't make it here. They make it in some third world shit pit for like $5. And they fucking sell it to these guys here. So kudos for Gucci. Y'all, y'all doing it, man. Oh. All right, that's it. Listen, it's the Iron Rapport Stereo Podcast. The best podcast in the world. No disrespect to anybody out there thugging their podcast. There's a lot of great ones out there. But if you listen, you always learn. I said it from the beginning, have no fear. The I Am Rappaport Stereo podcast is here. The home of disruptive behavior. Uh, again, I want to thank my man Robert Patrick for all the stories, all the insight, all the information, all the anecdotes. Uh, G. Moody, last name rhymes with duty. Uh, my name is Michael Rappaport, a.k.a. the Bobby Knight of podcasting. Uh, Miles Jordan, take us out again. With that Dennis Edwards inspired beat crafted meticulously <laughs> by Mr. Moody. I am Rap Stereo Podcast. We're out. Peace. <laughs>